Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. All right. Um, who all we got? This is David. David, good to hear you. Uh, yeah. You there, Mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh. Right. Good to hear your voice, too. Did you get my email? Yeah. Good. Yeah. I think we're on some good stuff. Yeah, the... the um. Um, international bills of exchange thing, I think, was the last email you sent there, David. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... Um, I see we've got Central Illinois and, um, Mighty Mo from, uh, I believe Michigan is with us. I've currently made a good connection with Mighty Mo. Uh, would you like to say hi, Mo? Yeah, hi. I'm, um, on Missouri, actually. Missouri, okay. Uh-huh. Turtle Island. There we go. <laughs> um, and and um, uh, she's had a, 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 a quite. She, she's real familiar with the work of Howard Griswold and a few others. She's been in the movement a long time, and um, David has too. David is is doing work in the federal and state courts there in um, uh, Michigan. Um, and and so I'm 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 glad to bring both of you together because you're both prominent scholars in your own right, and um, I'm I'm sure that uh, you'll have um, good exchanges here. Um, but I'd also like to briefly. It looks like the only other one that's got a phone connection here with us is from Central Illinois. Illinois, would you like to say hi? Hello, Illinois. You there? Yeah, this is Michael. Michael, uh, um, do uh, do we? Can you share any more background about your your uh, what drew you to the conference here, Michael? Uh, I just got an uh, email, and uh, I was uh, hoping for a discussion on common law. Yeah, that's 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 where my heart is at, and that's where I usually try to bring the focus. So. I'm I'm glad to have you here, and um, we probably will be bouncing around to commercial law and and issues like Mo and I were talking a little bit earlier about prisoners' rights and trying to do habeas corpus to help some people that are in prison. There's there's at least one case that we were talking about that's quite pressing here recently, um, but um, uh, it looks like I, uh, as as we're coming together here, I'd like to also. Um, uh, unmute a few others that are coming in. I see Rick from Southern Illinois and somebody from Georgia. Let me unmute you two. Um, and there we go. Um, Georgia, would you like to say hi? Uh, yes. Uh, good evening to everyone. Paul Nally here from Northwest Georgia. Uh, glad to have you with us, Paul. And, and Rick, are you there? I believe so. Can you hear me, brother? 
I can. Did you get that cell phone okay? Yes, sir. I opened it about a half an hour, 45 minutes ago. <laughs> okay. Rick yeah. has really been through the ringer. The de facto's took his, his home away from him there in uh, local Illinois, and, and, and then his phone burned up on him, and I, I sent him a cheapo uh, old-generation push-button phone. Uh, but it sounds like he patched into the conference anyway. I'm, I'm glad to have you here, Rick and Paul. Um, well, I'm smiling. I'm smiling ear for ear. I missed uh, missed your calls for what almost a whole month now. So I'm happy. All right. I'm glad you're with us, Rick. Um, um, and let me unmute guest seven in the chat room here. But um, uh, uh, Dave, uh, the floor is basically open. Uh, anybody with any really pressing issues that they'd like to uh, take and 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 bring to the fore, please do so. Uh, uh, wait a second, brother Rick. Uh, yes. Can I presume on your good nature to open us with a little brief word of prayer? Okay, sure. Uh, let me get over these dogs out of the way here. All right. Uh, Lord, come before you once again, Lord. Uh, not only fellowship, to learn wisdom, Lord, and be able to be strong and keep your word. As we move forward here, Lord, in very rough times, I thank Brother Charles for the gift that he sent me here. It's my first call that I've made using this uh, new phone here. It's not much, but it still keeps me in contact with the ones that I love. And I just pray, Lord, that everyone here that is in there tonight and that comes forth to be able to gain some wisdom and knowledge and keep, keep truth and honor in their hearts, and above all, Lord, just to be able to search you for wisdom and guidance. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Rick. Um, and, and at that point, it um, uh, looks like we've got somebody else calling in. Uh, and here, Lee, uh, uh, let me unmute. Uh, here we go. Um, uh Ken Haley, would you like to say hi? Hi. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself at all? Uh, what what drew you to the conference? Um, I'm just listening in. All right, all right. Well, th that's good. It looks like somebody else from Oregon's coming in too. I'll, um, uh, this is Rhoda. Recent, recent conferences we've had disruptors, so I'm. Uh, I have to unmute everybody each time they call in. Oregon, would you like to say hi? Yes. Uh, you probably, I just said, this is Rhoda, Rhoda Gelman. I'm uh, in Astoria, Oregon. Uh, good to have you with us, Rhoda. We're, we're getting it off to a, a, a slow start here, but we're, we're opening up the um, uh, conference. And it looks like maybe Hartford Van Dyke uh, is calling in, too. Let me unmute Hartford. Um, uh, and... Yeah. Hartford, are you there? Yeah. All right. Good to have you with us, Hartford. Um, Please try um, your call again. We're sorry. Your call. Ooh, somebody's coming through there. Um, okay. There's some background noise there. Please try to watch the background noise here, brothers and sisters. Um, um, but um, um, I'd like to... Um, open the discussion with 
uh, uh, referencing something that uh, Mighty Mo and I were talking about, a, a current habeas corpus case, uh, a prisoner, um, and and I, I talked to Hartford about it, and Hartford was asking what the charges were, and I misspoke there, and I'd like to ask. Uh, Mo I'd, like, I'd like you to wait for just a moment here. I've got a background noise myself. I've got to stop. Just hold on. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, uh, Charles, yeah, Mighty Mo, uh -huh. Rocco's yeah. also on the line. I patched him in. He's out and about. Yeah, right. I'm here. Right. And it looks like Allie probably joined with us. Is that you, Allie? Yes, it is. Uh, how's your tooth? Well, I still have lubricated my mouth and uh, coming along fine. All right, all right. Glad to have you with us. Um. Uh, Hartford, are you back yet? Sorry for the delay. Some background noise here. I had to get rid of. All right, all right. Um, uh, perhaps we can ask Mo here to um, explain the um, the background of the Parsons case and, and and what the basic charges were there, because I think I goofed it up when I talked to you about it a little bit, Hartford. Okay. Uh, Mo, are you there? Yes, I am. If, if um, one thing that if you'd like to pull up, everyone could pull up MikeParsons.org. He's got his own case right up there. Also, another good resource is a Year of Jub Jubilee, but it's spelled Year Y E A R O S J U B I L E dot com. And one of the things. Um, uh, briefly, it's it's a case on uh, Mr. and Mrs. Michael Parsons. It is Michael, the husband, and his wife is Patricia. And I, the, I, I'm, I'm getting the details unfolding. They had joined a native, a, a, a native indigenous tribe called the Siliquatin Nation in Canada. Okay. And this tribe is recognized. It does have blood lineal descendants in the tribe. And Michael and his wife Patricia were adopted in as members to this nation. And uh, you can, uh, I'll spell it for you when I get it in front of me here. But Michael is in jail tonight in Nebraska being held on federal charges. Patricia, his wife, is being held in an Alabama prison um, with federal charges. They played Let's Make a Deal with her. But they got Michael on, um, I think, a felon in possession of a firearm. The 922 uh, made notes today when he called. But I do have an audio recording that I've given permission uh, to Charles to upload if he wants to. And also Sue Holland, who is uh, the judge of this nation, also called me today from a um, psychiatric facility in Canada. They're trying to deem her incompetent. They do have Mike held under Title 18, uh, 922 G1. Yeah, 922 G1. And... Um, let me think what else. Um, 
This has been ongoing. It what basically is it? What is started, 922? Yeah, title of uh, 8. It's well, a gun charge. It? Okay, let me read it to you, Hartford. Um, let me get that pulled up. I mean, numbers, mem- mean, numbers mean nothing to me in those areas. Okay. I've only, I've only used uh, two United. Okay. Let me get that pulled up, please. It is a weapons charge. Unlawful acts. 18 U.S. Code, subsection 922 uh, G1. Let me read this. Any person except a licensed importer, licensed manufacturer. Okay, it shall be unlawful, A. One, for any person, A, except a licensed importer, licensed manufacturer, or licensed dealer to engage in the business of importing, manufacturing, or dealing in firearms or in the course of such business to ship, transport, or receive any firearm or in interstate or foreign commerce or... And they've got him on G1. Let me go to that one real quick. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all these stupid codes. Well, um. Um, I've got it pulled up here. Maybe you guys can help me. I'm going to put it in the... But it's it's possession, felon in possession of, of a firearm, basically. But that's the bottom line. That's what he told me. That's, and he's being held in Nebraska because he will not take a TB test. He does not subscribe to the Western Witch Doctor Medicine, which he said himself. And he will not take the TB test, and that's why he's being held and his trial is going to be March 26th. And at that point, let me get this in the chat room. At that point, they are going to bring up federal charges, okay? okay let me put it in the chat room. Maybe you guys can help me. And, I'll, um, and they are alleging that he flew an airplane unlicensed, and also there was a firearm in that airplane. I'm trying to get this into the chat box here. And um, basically, I hope that's it. And I hope that's a good explanation. Yeah. Well, did, he, did he know that all of these conditions existed in the law? Did he know the law? Was he aware of this code on firearms? No, not until he was charged. No, he... He uh, he did told he me that sus- he was. Did he, did he even suspect that they would have limitations on it? Not that I'm aware of. See, this is a Not problem here. When you're dealing with people in these situations, you have you have to get inside the picture and find out. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you there, Hartford. The reason. Uh, like the yeah, there's What's Cornell. All What's all this background stuff? Yeah, I'll, I'll mute a few people here to try to clean up the background here, Hartford. I think it's clearer there. Okay, go ahead. Are you there, I'm Mo? Still looking at, yeah, I'm looking for the G1. And anybody that would like to assist, please do so. Uh, yeah. Got it. But, 
May I help you? Yes, please. This is Paul Nally from North Georgia. G1 says that it shall be unlawful for any person who has been convicted in any court of a crime punishable by imprisonment for a term exceeding one year. Apparently, he has a prior conviction. Do you know whether or not that is true? Well, I would say that everything, he's been very transparent with me, and uh, also on MikeParsons.org. I haven't read the sum total of the case. He, he, uh, he again, he's been quite truthful and transparent. Uh, that doesn't answer the man's question. Okay, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the details are. I, I don't have them memorized. I, I, I don't have a personal connection with him other than just recently. May I ask you to relay him a message? Yeah, absolutely. Please inform him that he has an absolute right under federal statute to address the grand jury who either considered or is considering and further indictments against him, and he can address them on the issue of probable cause, number one. And number two, he can also inform them that they have the common law right to judge the laws under which he is being charged. Yeah. The the federal code section for his right to address the grand jury is in uh, 18 U.S.C. 3332, I believe. That starts off talking about the grand jury's duty, but the last uh, sentence is where he has the statutory right mandated by Congress to address the grand jury on the question of probable cause. Okay. Is the court system there state Nebraska or federal? Now he's been. Are you asking me? What? Yes. Yes, he's being held in in a county jail, Saline County. Um. And but it is going to be on federal charges. Okay. Federal. Uh, the the case is going to be uh, federal coming up March twenty sixth. I do have an audio recording from him. He called me twice today, and um, it's okay. I asked him permission to record. He gave me that permission, and and then he knows that I'm going to get it out uh, to the people. You're very welcome to download it, do with it, you know, um, anything possible. I think I just posted, well... Yeah, posted them in the chat, but um, I'll post them yeah. again. I didn't get MP3s, but well, well, we'll do what we can to help. But there, there's broader picture here because Patricia is just recently uh, Michael's wife has also been sucked into this 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 black hole of evil um, uh, yeah. through being intimidated into copping a plea bargain or something. Isn't that true, um, Mel? That is correct. That is correct. Uh, 
the people that were identified as, I guess, federal agents came to her. And no, actually, it was the um, somebody involved with the case in Tennessee. And they came to her and said, look, you're either uh, that video audio that Lone Star 1776 put out said, look, you've either got to plead guilty uh, today or I think that's how they said it. Or, you know, you're going to go to jail anyway and, you know, you can't take care of your animals. You can't do anything. And and we're talking this lady was an engineer, okay, and she had a farm. I think Michael said they had about a 20-acre farm down there in Tennessee, Shelby County. And the feds came to her and said, you know, let's make a deal. And that's what happened. She was intimidated into agreeing. Down there they call it to proffer is what she said on the audio because she was intimidated because she felt like she couldn't take care of her animals, couldn't take care of her farm. Well, her husband it was you know absent because he was in prison. So she agreed to what the offer was made to her. You know, if you if you plead guilty to this charge. Tr- all, all she's got to do is put it in an affidavit to the effect that she was intimidated. Yeah. That'll well, put her. That'll put her back in a situation of being attacked from some other angle. But if she doesn't, if she wants to withdraw her statement, she can. If she says that she was intimidated, that's that's under that when they intimidate them like that under that's uh, getting them. To, see, they're under they're under oath when they're in there anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. Since, they're, since they're under oath, anything they say that's wrong is perjury, right? Right, but if they're perjured under force and intimidation and, and extortion and twisting their minds and so forth, that uh, is what's called a uh, procuring a perjury under Title 18, Section 1622. May I ask a question? Go ahead. Do you know whether or not that lady was served with a notice of criminal warrant hearings? Mm, I do not. Again, I'm just learning uh, the details on the case, and um, they they were interested in a case that I had had a close friend uh, involvement with, and it was the same charges. That's why they were wanting to reach out and talk to me on that. But I do not. You might. Let, me stop, let me stop things a second here. Certainly. You said today that you have you have telephone con- communication with him, right? Correct. Well, you should be taking down the questions that this man is asking you. If you don't have the answers, you should be taking down the questions that he's asking you so you can provide them to the person in the telephone call the next time around. Oh, absolutely. That's why, that's why I recorded the call with his permission so I would not forget one tiny detail and to be totally transparent. Yeah, but and you need to work right. it. The, you need to work it the other way. This man that's on this program right now is asking you some salient questions, and you need to write those down so you can communicate them back and get the mm-hmm. answers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's this is call is being recorded, isn't it, Charles? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We you right. can play that yeah. back later. Um, although it, it's definitely good to be taking notes, also as Hartford suggests. Oh yeah, certainly. Good point. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, you've got a lot on your mind, Mo. You're at the center of the tornado there. Um, 
I, I'm sure you well, won't. Let's go back to the man that was just talking. Let him finish what he has to say. Yeah, a line of thought there. Please, sir, uh, go ahead. Well, this is Paul from Georgia, northwest Georgia. Glad you're with us, Paul. Please continue. Well, I thank you all for the invite tonight. Uh, the Both the gentleman and the lady who are in, currently in prison under the federal case of Gerstein v. Pugh, which was a 1975 case, and I forgive me, I cannot recall the proper site. After all, I'm 72 years old. But anyway, um, Gerstein v. Pugh, the Supreme Court of the United States, was explicit to all of the states in that, and it included the federal government. They did not care what laws the states passed to bring a free citizen into the criminal justice system. But they did say explicitly that everybody would first, before taking a person's liberty by incarceration, they would first take them to a, or see that they were summoned to a uh, probable cause hearing before a judicial magistrate. That had to come first. Yeah. And if they were arrested in the commission of a crime, the Supreme Court said you don't even take them to jail first. You take them to the magistrate for a probable cause hearing. So in this nation, under the edict of the United States Supreme Court, FBI agents cannot show up at your house. Now, mm -hmm. they can show up at your house and chat with you, but they cannot threaten you with arrest unless they have in their possession a notice of hearing. And it's the judge's discretion, and they have to get a judicial discretion as to when that hearing is to take place. There is this thing called unreasonable search and seizure, which the Supreme Court has addressed, addressed more than once. And the Supreme Court doesn't look too kindly on unreasonableness when it comes to seizing people uh, and depriving them of their liberty. I, let me shut up. I, I could get on this topic all night. No, Mr. No, it, may uh, I ask uh, the spelling is G-E-R-S-T-E-I-N? Yes, ma'am. Uh, well, I think it says S-T, yes, ma'am, S-T-E-I-N, Gerstein V. Pugh, P-U-G-H. Okay, sir, thank you. Sir, you should keep going. you got good stuff. Yeah. Well, you'll, you folks will have to forgive me. I've, I've had a rather misspent life. I've hung around too many judges and lawyers and too many. <laughs> uh, I am a former chief of police down here in a little city in North Georgia and, and a former uh, justice of the peace. And uh, I do have a fair amount of knowledge and understanding of the criminal statutes, so... That's good. Um, I was just trying to think if there was... Oh, yeah. 
uh, that uh, it's important that both the gentleman and his wife both demand their right to address the grand juries on the questions of probable cause. And as far as the ladies are concerned, she also needs to raise an objection to the grand jury about the uh, conduct of the federal officials. Now, I don't know what the state laws are in the jurisdictions where they were uh, uh, taken from. But in Georgia, if a federal officer comes up to your house and he's investigating a crime and he threatens to take you to jail, if you don't cooperate, that's intimidation of a witness. And I do know there's a federal statute that prohibits that. Uh, so basically, the federal officers who arrested her, probably in the state where they pulled that stunt, violated a state felony. They certainly have violated federal felony laws concerning specifically 18 U.S.C. 242. And I might also throw this out. Um, under 18 U.S.C. 3571, I believe, is the proper citation. The 3571 is the valuation of the damages... Yes, that's 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 the one. Uh, the value of one of your civil rights is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But if you but if you if you and that's, that's, a, that's if you if if you do the what's this um, if you well, I'm just trying to think this now. You have the right to itemize your damages under the Constitution. Yes, and the at, at ten thousand dollars, a violation of the Constitution under Title Eighteen, Section Two Forty Two, under, under Two Forty One or Two Forty Two, depending on whether it's a, a conspiracy or a lone act. But if you, for example, if they violate 25 points in the Constitution of the United States uh, with regard to your rights, their due process, if it's 25, that would be the 250,000 you're talking about. No, sir. No, sir. What? No, sir. I am talking about one person violating one of your civil rights, the value of that is $250,000, and that's if an individual does it. If a corporation does it, and by the way, the Federal Bureau of Investigation is a federal corporation, then it becomes a half million dollars. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I was referring to a different method of itemizing it. There's a standard form, criminal complaint form, that when you, by the time you check the boxes, it is up to 250000 <laughs> About, about 20 different things are violated. People aren't aware of that, maybe, but a lot of things get violated in these situations. I mean, there's points in the Constitution of the United States all over the place on what what happens in this lack of due process. Yes, sir. And by the time you accumulate them, some some of the counts go on up to 350,000, 35 counts, or 50 
counts would be fifty five hundred thousand. It's an interesting criminal complaint form. You should take a look at it. Uh, do you, by any chance, have a copy, a PDF? Yes, I have. Okay. A co- I have a copy, and I can provide you the actual form. Excellent. I will send you an email. Let's. Uh, I'll give you an address, a mailing address. Postal. Postal. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have an email. It's Hartford Van Dyke at gmail dot com. H a r t f o r d v a n d y k e. It's like Hartford, Connecticut. Hartford yep. Van V a n d y k e. Post office box eight three one. Kettle Falls, Washington. Kettle like on a stove. A kettle stove. K e t t l e. Kettle Falls, Washington nine nine. One four one dash zero eight three one. Thank you, young man. And my phone number is area code five oh nine five zero nine. Five oh nine seven three eight three eight three zero three nine. Zero three nine. Got it. My my office hours are eleven to five Monday through Friday. Okay. Thank you, sir. That's Pacific time zone. Yes, sir. I understand. Okay, but uh, your your information is very interesting. You're more than welcome. And we're contributing to the collective consciousness as a, a community. We're we're building the collective repository of insights here as we all contribute a little bit that we've got then then the collective knowledge is is shareable by everyone and 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 it's enhanced because none of us knows everything um but together uh, Charles what was that man's name I missed his name Paul uh, is that correct Paul talk, the man I was just talking with Oh yeah, Paul, Paul. last name is N A L L Y N A L L Y Nally. And the first name's Paul, and like Paul in the scripture, I am chief among sinners. Okay, I've got your name. Expect a call. Yes, sir. Okay. Go ahead, Charles. I'm sorry. All right, we're good, Hartford. I'm I'm glad you guys are steel sharpening steel here. It's a pleasure to watch uh, talented senior law scholars here uh, comparing notes like this. Um, I would like to know some of the other know the other subjects that uh, he's interested in before he leaves the program. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've done some reading in the common law. Uh, particularly where it has to deal with sovereign immunity and, and citizens' rights. Mm-hmm. But I'm most, the one place I'm really, ex, excuse me, am am I taking up too much time? No. No. The the one place where I, I really have a focused interest right now is on the, uh, the Georgia grand jury specifically, but I would love to know more about grand juries in other states. Um, 
and and whether they are children of the state or are they children of the common law, I, I will say this. And please interrupt me if I talk too much, will you, please? Uh, sure. In the state of Georgia, our forefathers, and I don't know how in the Sam Hill they managed to do this in the first place, and how it's been kept the way it is for as long as it has been. But when they, when we came from a, transferred over from a common law system to a statutory system, our forefathers reached over into the common law and they picked up the grand jury of common law and they set it down in Georgia's constitution wholly complete with every right, privilege, and immunity that the common law grand jury had enjoyed in England. And how it has managed to stay that way is beyond me. With the corruption in this state the way it is, I cannot imagine. But what I do know and what I have personally experienced is that our district attorneys and our sheriffs in this state and our superior court judges, our judges of record, of general jurisdiction, have no compunction whatsoever in stopping a citizen from laying his evidence before a grand jury in the face, in the very face, of an 1886 Supreme Court decision which said, basically, that every citizen or person of lawful age could lay their information before a grand jury. Yeah, but is the grand jury violating that, you say? Well, unfortunately, the grand jury, well, one thing you got to understand, and I, I, I think possibly y'all will appreciate the this next comment, the educational system of this state and this nation has done the most admirable, complete job of educating the people of this country the maximum level of their acceptable ignorance. So consequently, our grand jurors today don't have a clue who's in charge when they assemble, they don't even know what they're supposed to be doing. That's regrettable. Now, I, the grand jury in Georgia, if you want to see the limits of the, of the jurisdictional reach of a grand jury in Georgia, you've got to walk out the front door of the courthouse and look up. Because this grand jury in this state is not restrained in where on this globe they can reach. Now, if I, I may, love, I would love to know if that's the same case in other states. If I may, this is David, Michigan. Hey, David. Hey there. Uh, I want to apologize, first of all, for having to get off. My my son had uh, called me and um, was uh, talking about a scholarship that he's trying to get. And um, so I had talked to him for about 20 minutes. 
Um, but I got back on in time to hear the uh, uh, man from Georgia dealing with the uh, grand jury, and I and I want to welcome Hartford Van Dyke to uh, this call. Um, uh, I just wanted to to let uh, everybody know that uh, Bill Windsor was from Atlanta, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and probably five, six, six, seven years ago. Uh, he had presented uh, his case. He had to sit outside of where the the grand jury goes in and out their doors, and he held a little sign so he wouldn't be uh, uh, taken away for interference with grand jury proceedings, but he held a little sign uh, there saying that he had some stuff to give to them, and finally he was given the opportunity to go inside and uh, present to them a well-prepared package and I think they gave him something like three to five minutes to uh, to present something and uh, what he presented to them was uh, 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 corruption of federal uh, judges that were uh, in Atlanta and um, and uh, they, the grand jurors uh, this is this is an anomaly because here in Michigan we have the investigative subpoena statute which uh, basically, uh, replaces the grand jury and puts all the power into the, to the hands of the prosecutor for investigation, uh, which makes it all discri uh, uh, discretionary. But uh, Bill Windsor had his three to five minutes of presenting a package to each one of the grand jurors, and they said, well, we'd like you to come back and uh, give us more and elaborate more on what you have to say. And when he did go back to do so, he was met at the elevator with the sheriff and the the prosecutor, and they basically said, if you get off this elevator on this floor, then we are going to take you, you know, as, as, I don't know, where, what the, I forgot what the threat was, but he basically, they basically barred him from going back in front of that grand jury. Um, and uh, that that was where his uh, that's where he decided that he was going to take this corruption, which included Atlanta, um, to uh, uh, nationally with his uh, Lawless America uh, video uh, effort. So I I yield with that. I just want to let you know two things. One, that here in Michigan we used to have grand juries, and right now they with this investigative subpoena statute. Um, they've given the power of the grand jury to the prosecutor except under two conditions. One, if it's a single county, they actually make a judge the grand jury. They actually have the gall to call a single judge a one-man grand jury. And then they, uh, on the, uh, if it's multi-county uh, level, then they, um, then they actually uh, hold a grand jury and they pull people from various counties uh, and and uh, and and have a grand jury, but that is it here in Michigan. Uh, the other is uh, just to tell uh, Windsor's story. I yield. Thank you. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but yes, I do know Bill Windsor's uh, situation, and yes, it happens. So you understand the the problems we go through. I, I have been I've been put in jail for. Uh, trying to get to a grand jury. And what those dummies don't understand, every officer that was involved in that committed a federal felony. 
intimidation of a witness. That is strictly against federal law. It's against state law. So they committed at least two, three, four. They committed four felonies just with one act. I would I would strongly suggest that someone in Michigan start a movement to get your grand jury squared away and put the hand put the power of uh, managing government back in the hands of the people. Well, we've been, we've been doing that, um, and uh, um, yeah, we've been doing that. We're trying. <laughs> Look at but, uh, but what what we lack are the guns, you know. That's that's pretty much the bottom line. Wait, can I jump in there a little bit? This is Charles in Oregon, the host moderator. I'd like to point out, and I'm I'm glad Paul from Georgia is coming in, um, uh, and 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 raising the grand jury issue. But like David and and a number of others, I think have heard me mention before. Um, Pure common law societies don't need grand juries, and at the county and the precinct level, our, our common law court jurisdictions don't need grand juries because in those common law jurisdictions that are part of our Constitution, especially referenced in the Sixth Amendment, um, um, people can bring criminal complaints directly in the courts. You don't need the rubber stamp of approval of a grand jury first before you can begin prosecuting your criminal complaint against anybody in the community or that that's trespassing into the community there. Um, what, what we're looking at with the entire grand jury tradition is a mechanism of Roman civil municipal law that has been artificially overlaid over and above the, the, the pure common law societies that were in existence in England prior to the Norman Conquest of 1066 AD. Um, at that point, Roman civil municipal law came in and created an artificial overlay that perverted the simplicity of our Anglo-American common law due process. And, and so, and, and in early America, I dare suggest the plan was it's self-evident in our constitutional provisions that say things like all power is inherent in the people. It, it, there's no logical reason why people can't file and prosecute their own criminal complaints directly in the courts that are supposed to be public courts of this nation. Um, and 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 it it's entirely lawful that the the grand jury mechanism is is um uh the 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 civil judicial department has um uh limitations in magna carta the 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 magna carta put a stone wall blockage against the agents of the roman empire model of government that was then in place after the norman conquest it, it had been abusing the rights. So Magna Carta put a stone wall there that said that the agents of the government <coughs> could not directly prosecute people for criminal complaints. And, and, and thereunder, shortly after Magna Carta, the mechanism of the grand jury was invented so as to be a rubber stamp to, to work around <coughs> the grand jury or the, the 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 Magna Carta limitation on um, the ability of the civil servants 
to directly bring criminal complaints against the common people. But but with the American Revolution, all of that was supposed to be thrown off because it was counterintuitive and a perversion of natural law. Under natural law, that's supposed to be supreme. People are supposed to be able to bring criminal complaints. My God, that's 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 the first and most prioritized issue and concern for administering justice is to address crimes in the community. And 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 so it, it's it's a fundamental organic right, and and I dare suggest that that there's a number of areas where on, we're on the edge of a revolution, and and if we're going to be able to stop this prison industrial complex and things like that, there's going to need to be a lot of changes, such as we've been discussing with Hartford in in economics and things like that, and if we're going to create a model for for a better society. With, with alternative economic systems like what Hartford has proposed and and um, uh, alternative legal mechanisms, I dare suggest we throw out everything from Roman civil municipal government, including the grand jury process, and just allow people to bring their own criminal complaints directly. Justice delayed is justice denied, and 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 go ahead and make a much more simple and and very uh, uh, or organically accountable system for for all of our people and and I just wanted to point that out I'm really glad Paul's raising these issues but but I dare suggest that um we can come up with a really simplified model that that's that's simple's good Hartford was talking about that earlier today anyway I'll yield there I I invite comments on that or we can go off onto other subjects whatever I yield now, this is Bruce from South Carolina Bruce, yes. Uh, thank you for taking the call and having me on the call. This is an honor. Uh, in South Carolina, I'm, I'm right across the river from you, um, from Abbeville, South Carolina, who we wrote the organic document to succeed from the nation. Um, my ancestors did. But anyway, that's my lineage, French Huguenots. But anyway, in South Carolina, we are supposed to be able to confront a judge with a crime. Um, uh, and report a crime to them. I have not been able to do that. I've tried that several times here in South Carolina, and they would not let me see a judge about a crime. Now, <clears throat> all the sheriffs and deputies, Supreme Court case in South Carolina, Edwards versus Lexington County Sheriff's Department, all sheriffs and deputies are state employees, so we have no officials within the county now so that's where we stand in south carolina so i don't know which way to go like you're talking about i i wish we could get uh remedy here um like you're talking about so uh anything that uh can we can produce here uh would be gratefully um used and thank you for coming on the call are you welcome Question, sir. Yes, uh-huh. I have not read the South Carolina Constitution nor the statutes, but let me suggest that you first get your Constitution down and find where in that document your grand jury is mentioned, if it is mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's not found there. Then go to your statutes. 
Let me ask you a question. Um, shall I go to the organic, or shall I have the latest uh, cabal constitution? I would first start with the oldest constitution for South Carolina, which should be sometime around 1777, 78. Right. And then... But that's confronting the king, you know, that's basically what they're doing, like... Um, the, what, the, what I'm, independent. is when you find your state, how your state treats the grand jury, the first one of the first things you need to know is, is there a provision in your state statutes that requires the, the judges of your courts to consider the common law as it existed in 1778, mm-hmm. uh, if they cannot find a controlling statute, I mean a controlling case after that time. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the way it is in Georgia. I think that's the way it would be in South Carolina because... Well, the reason I had brought up uh, going directly to a judge and confronting him and reporting a crime is exactly what this man is talking about in Oregon. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're supposed to be able to do here in South Carolina. But they stop us. They won't let us go to the sheriff. And I don't want to go to the sheriff because he is part of the corporate state. Okay, do you? A state statute which recognizes the authority of a citizen to perfect a citizen's arrest. Oh yes, yeah, that, that's um, we have that right. And that is a workaround. Mm-hmm. That is a way to get around the sheriff who will not, a judge who will not consider your testimony and your evidence for an arrest. Well, now, see, what I'm saying is we don't have the opportunity to get in front of a judge to report the crime. They're stopping us. The, the clerk of court is stopping us from doing so. Now, hell, I'm holding her liable for her actions in doing so. But that doesn't matter to them. All right, now, now listen carefully. Yes. Please. Um. First thing you need to do is to read your statutes. Read your Constitution first, then read your statutes on criminal procedure. And if you cannot find any language that could remotely be construed as denying you your right to speak, then I would submit to you that any court officer who obstructs your right to bring information either to a grand jury or to a uh, magistrate Mm -hmm. for the purposes of determining probable cause and issuing a warrant, those individuals who obstruct you have violated 18 U.S.C. 241 and 242. Right. That's two federal felonies. 
That's six years in a federal penitentiary. That's $250,000 each offense for each person. Mm -hmm. If I may? Yes, you may. This is David, uh, again, from Michigan. I think this would be a good opportunity for me to reiterate what Charles has stated earlier, and and that is that the the jury... um, the jury is available to us now. And um, we have a community of people in which we can come together and have a jury. He will be the first person to tell you, I'm talking about Charles, that the Constitution, I I think it's uh, Amendment Number 7, that uh, that says that the um, the the uh, the ruling of a jury cannot be overturned. Uh, it, it's pretty much final, and there's no reason to go to a grand jury to do investigations when we can present it directly to a jury, and the jury is available to us uh, now. Um, if 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 uh, I think Charles can put it better into words than I can, but I've heard it many times from Charles and, uh, and in a very eloquent way that, uh, that says that you and I, all of us here on this call, uh, as, as de jure individuals, uh, are a part of a community in which we may adjudicate a case uh, ourselves. And um, maybe this is an opening for Charles. I would appreciate it if if, uh, you want to jump in here, Charles. But uh, I I think that there's no reason uh, for us to, uh, number one, try to do any uh, citizen's arrest because that's a suicide mission. Uh, We have that, that statute here in Michigan. I've considered it myself, and I've thought, if I do this, they'll shoot me on sight. Um, and um, there's, there's no way that they're going to, uh, you know, allow me to do this. And, um, and, and, and I had the same problem in getting to access to the grand jury. I know in South Carolina there's been a, I forgot what the guy's name is, but he did a very excellent, uh, he does lectures down there in South Carolina detailing how the, uh, in the uh, uh, Reconstruction Acts, that the 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 in, the government that was put into place, the rump government that was put into place to uh, to repl- uh, at uh, the point of a bayonet um, uh, has been um, uh, that way ever since, and so uh, it was from from the aftermath of the the Civil War. Um, there was uh, a takeover, even after after the war had ended, and everybody had uh, provided their their oath and uh, of allegiance to the new government, you know, to the to the union again. Then the union came back to the South Carolina and said, "Hold on a second, uh, no, nope, we're going to replace your government too." Even though these people are elected, now we're going to change that, and it's been that way ever since. And that so, was John. That was John Ainsworth that has that lecture. He uh, is still. Yeah, that that that's North Carolina. 
He's yes. from North Carolina. Act- yes. Mm-hmm. Perfect. He has his own. He has his own uh, government uh, using uh, silver and gold as a currency. Yes. So um, let me let me yield because I I think that I've opened up something that uh, is number one is is, is a, a good opening for Charles to uh, once again help to explain better that the grand juries really aren't needed to investigate. Once we have all the information that we need, all we need to do is present it to a jury. I yield. Charles. Thank you, David. Uh, Charles from Oregon here. Thank you for the 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 introduction segue there. Um, Charles, I heard a woman's voice asking you stated your name. Yeah, Mighty uh, Mo from Missouri, Charles. I, I wanted to ask a question. Sure, now, go ahead, Mo. And in line. Well, with the input that the last gentleman gave, as a matter of fact, Michael Parsons from Shelby County, Tennessee, did in fact uh, try to do a a citizen's arrest. He had ran for a particular office there, and he evidently had, uh, you know, some people didn't want him to be in that office, so. A gentle, uh, a man was shooting at. They raised uh, hybrid wolves, you know, dogs, and a man was shooting at one of his wolves out in the next yard. And Mike went over and and told him to stop. Okay, he said, you know, you need to stop shooting at the dog. The the guy even shot at Mike and Patricia Parsons in the yard. And Mike said that he was going, and he was he was mic'd up because he had, uh, when he had worked in the field in his professional life, he was used to taking a microphone with him to do notes. So he did have a microphone on him. He said, "I am uh, affecting a citizen's arrest." So if that helps, um, and they didn't do anything to the guy that shot the wolf dog, but they took Mike in for some unknown reason. Uh, because he had tried to make a citizen's arrest there in, um, in Tennessee. Thank uh, you. I yield. It, it sounds like the the very act of trying to conduct, trying to assume the sovereign power of doing a citizen's arrest is what triggered the agents of the evil empire to retaliate against Michael. Is that a reasonable summary there? No? Well, he, yes. What he had done, he had. Um, he had ran for a particular office, and um, he was evidently, you know, things didn't go right. He started a lawsuit against someone in that county, okay? And he, of course, was not, <laughs> at that point, uh, evidently they felt like that, um, you know, that they would have to come up against him because he had uh, started a lawsuit in that county. It's it's been ongoing on him, you know, standing up for himself down there. But um, and again, I don't know all the details. I'm still studying the case, and I yield. Thank you, Mel. You're welcome. My uh, uh, may I make a comment? Go ahead. Uh, one thing too in Georgia, when it comes to citizens' arrest, our statutes are very explicit you don't have to actually lay hands on someone in this state all you have to do is look at the individual and say 
you're under arrest, and at that moment those words leave your mouth, a legal arrest has been made. In addition to that, the law is also very plain that only a jury can determine the lawfulness of a citizen's arrest. It is not the duty of a law enforcement officer or a judge to make that determination. In the right on. Yeah. Very good. I yield. Thank you. Um, I'd like to go back to try to build off of the segue that David Scheid from Michigan left for me here earlier, if there's no objection. Yes. All right. Um, um, the... Um, we're, yes, we're circling around the citizen's arrest issue, and um, um, and that's where the rubber really meets the road, is is the ability to to bring force to to incapacitate somebody, arrest their movement, so that they can be brought directly to accountability through due process of law. Um, um, and and I've I've recently posted. A couple of web links in the chat window. Um, um, the the first one indicates that that uh, um, every precinct in the state of Oregon um, has authority to uh, uh, have a judicial officer represent that precinct. It's called the Office of the Justice of the Peace. I believe, Paul, you indicated that you used to have an office of a justice of the peace or something. You probably didn't know how much power of general jurisdiction you had there. I believe that precinct level office is the same as the districts referred to in the Sixth Amendment and and that's that's the general criminal jurisdiction that that all across the USA is intended to decentralize the power, the legitimate power of of, of judicial officers in in all of the approximately 300,000 precincts across the USA that that this power is decentralized down to the common people to legitimately bring forth force to arrest people and to incarcerate them and to bring them to accountability by due process of law. Due process of law is not really seriously complicated. Most in early America, most people that were justice of the peace officers were not even bar member attorneys. They weren't college educated. They just knew the basic elements of due process of law. It's like brewing a batch of beer or something. Uh, uh, you just follow the steps and boom, there you got justice. Um, but the second point is uh, um, under each precinct, there's 10 township jurisdictions according to traditional, more ancient versions of common law tradition. And each of those offices have the office of a town constable who definitely has the the unquestioned right to make arrests. These are these are enshrined in, in, in state constitutions and statutes. And it's massively decentralized down to these smaller common law jurisdictions. And Oregon statute, the last link I posted is ORS 206.050 um, um, Oregon Revised Statutes, and it shows that that um, any officer, including a local town constable, has um, um, 
the authority to command the assistance of as many people of the county as he needs if he is apprehensive that that it, that, that that there might be resistance to him serving official judicial process paperwork in, in anything that's a legitimate duty for him to ex execute. So, that, in, in essence, that's the authority to rally posse comitatus from the county. See, it's not just the sheriff that has the authority to do that. It's, it, it's any officer in the county. And, and every county, uh, according to the ancient Mosaic law of, of Exodus 18 and Deuteronomy 1, there, there was a hierarchy set forth there that, that continues on into our common law. Um, the Exodus 18 Torah law hierarchy was um, uh, to appoint captains over smaller communities of tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands. A common law township is ten households. A common law precinct is a hundred households. A common law county with full posse comitatus is supposed to be a thousand households with a thousand armed men. Um, um, and 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 the. The, the the local town constables and 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 precinct uh, judicial officers, justice of the peace officers, have authority to call this into existence, as this Oregon statute recognizes, and and um, they're under the, the the powers in our hands. If we could just get a little bit of funding and some organization, we could start uh, issuing our own. Uh, identification badges for local town constables that are willing to stand up and assume these vacant offices, and and we could issue identification cards for local people that are people in their own localities that are have the courage to assume the vacant office of a precinct level justice of the peace. We could do things like this, and things like this are rock-solid in both constitutional and statutory law. Um, the judges will blink and run and hide if we start talking about these things. I know most of you, when you've made good arguments, you've seen the corrupted judicial officers and lawyers. They run and hide. They won't talk to you about these things. So they're under. We've got, we command the full spectrum. We've got the moral high ground and the legal high ground here. If we can just um, uh, get the traction economically and organizationally with, with enough people that comprehend with eyes to see and ears to hear what we're talking about here, um, I believe at our fingertips we've got the the uh, the opportunity to to bring about a paradigm shift away from this evil empire form of Roman law based government that is oppressing us all. Uh, there, I yield. I ranted quite a bit there. I yield. Comments, questions, you're welcome. That that's a bold proposition. Um, uh, anybody thinking that I'm blowing smoke here? Um, we've got the judicial and the executive power massively decentralized. That's a very bold proposition. Anybody see any faults in that proposition? No, I have uh, not any faults with that, but I would like to bring up a different concept to the matter. Please go ahead. What was your name again, sir? Uh, I'm Bruce from South Carolina. Uh, Bruce, please go ahead, yes. Yes, and um, has anybody here... Uh, have the understanding of chancellery court a suit in equity 
understanding uh, what a court of equity? A chancery court. A chancery court of equity. Right. Well, well I, I, this is David, Michigan. I've I've I've, uh, I've read a little bit about it. Uh, we don't have a chancery court here. I think Tennessee does. Um, but uh, uh, go ahead. I, I, I'm all ears. Well, that theory that he was talking about us forming our own, we could form our own chancellery courts because the maxims of uh, equity um, formed the, the chancellery court. There's 21 maxims that follow trust law, and that's what we're under trust. There's no contracts. There's no real consideration of money, real money to form a contract. So everything is under trust. And that's well, where you hear that's where you hear uh in Chancery Court a trust. If it's if they say it's a contract, it is a a constructive trust trust which is a fraud. So if you got dirty hands, you cannot come in honor into Chancellor Court, else you lose everything. Well, the doctrine, everything. The doctrine of clean hands applies in every court. Well, it's really in use of in Chancellor Court. Yes. If I might jump in just briefly, um, um, in common law jury trial process, everything is on the table. So, so specific rules like like um, uh, um, uh, clean hands doctrine and things like that, that, that the, the, the object of the jury is to arrive at a unanimous agreement, consensus on, on, on what's the interest of justice. And if applying a clean hands principle is appropriate in an individual case, then the jury should be able to um, uh, build their consensus and unanimous verdict around that. But if perhaps maybe enforcement of that clean hands doctrine would is perceived by the jurors' unanimous agreement to work an injustice, then that's it, it, see under common law everything is principles. It's not statutory okay. robotic commands like the Roman no statutes. There's no statutes in equity. Yeah. Well. Um, um, Actually, equity is certainly not common law. It's more derived from no, the Roman Empire right. than that's, it is from, from no, traditional common no, law. It's not. No, it's not under the Roman Empire. You have a one judge who's the chancellor, and he makes a decision on who's in honor in equity. And if he's not in honor, either party, they both pay the price. They come in well, with unclean hands. <clears throat> well, well, common law due process requires a jury to make all the decisions. Okay. But that, that means that your chancellor from equity is not under a common law jurisdiction. So. No, he's not. He's not supposed to be. It's a totally different um, bumblebee. <laughs> Come okay, well, prior, well, well where, where do you think all that came from? What do you mean where it came from? It came from God. That's who he's going to judge you with is equity. Well, well, equity is who he's going to judge you with. So, well, I, I, I don't want to get in a lengthy debate, uh, but uh, the, the, um, the prior to 1066 in England, there was no equity jurisdiction. There was a pure common law society in 
in uh, uh, existence, and, and communities of juries decided everything. There was no trusting a chancery priest like what you seem to be advocating here, sir. Mm-hmm. Correct. Well, the way I understood it was that they had decided that chancellor, chancellor was the best court to go into in England, and they outlawed the common law because of the inequities of the, the jury and the prejudice of the juries and the prosecutors and all the common law junk you have to go through and keep it simple for the people. It was a simplistic, straight, direct uh, court that you went into, not all the due processes, not all the law. You had 21 maxims you had to follow in equity, with equity. If I may, if I may, this is David and Mitch. If, if I uh, if I'm correct, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that the the, the chancery court is a judge. It's a That's person right. who is a person who a single person who determines equity based on his own discretion, and that's nope. it, period. Nope. There is no jury. Uh, am I wrong? Not, no, you're wrong. He can't make his own discretion. He has to uh, determine on the two individuals or parties are in the, in the court if they're uh, going to be fair with each other and come out with good, clean hands. If they, either party is not equitable, equal, in their pleadings or whatever they're going for, and without doing harm to each other, then he can make that decision. You, lose, you, you come in here with unclean hands and ill intent, then you lose your whatever you wanted to get. You don't get what you're going to get, first of all, and then you pay another price for it. And that's determined by the judge, the fault. And that's how God is going to rule with you when you meet him. He's going to judge you with equity. Hey, Charles, it's Jeremiah. Can I can I cite something here for your no. reference? And I'll, no. I'll show the link. No. no. It, it's about chancery, sir. I don't know how you got in, Jeremiah. You're not welcome here. Where are equity? A branch of Anglo-American jurisdiction. Jeremiah is is a subversive. I don't allow him in here. I don't. Um, anyway, perhaps we can continue with the more honorable people here. Um, the floor's open. Um, well, very interesting discussion. To, and you're talking about forming our own courts or hearings or juries. There's another avenue we can go to as well. You're talking about trusting a chancery priest to decide things instead of a jury, right? Yes. What makes you think that a chancery priest would have better process for administering justice for our common people than than a jury of local community members? Well, if you were the chancellor, um, I would trust you in making that decision. Well, how about you just elect me as jury foreman and I try to bring 12 other common people together to legitimize our uh, uh, collective decision? Well, I'd go in front of the, the, um, again, I would go in front of you and you make that decision, right? Same thing as the chancellor. You form a jury trial, a jury, 
Well, you got to make that determination whether you're going to make that jury uh, appear or not. Yeah. Okay. Um, Same thing. Well, I, I, I'd like to modify that. Uh, um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a fundamental right of due process of law for everybody to be able to have their their judicial decisions resolved by a jury. That's part of the phrase due process of law. That process of common law is due to every qualified elector in the community. It's an obligation of all higher levels of government. It's a duty that's due to, to every every qualified elector in the community. That's the grassroots constituency of the community, and and there and that's a a a repository for the people to access. The jury is the conscience of the community, and 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 certainly some authority does have to be lodged in 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 the people that are the natural common law leadership, such as the town constables and the justice of the peace officers of the the precinct level jurisdiction, the judicial officers at the next higher precinct level there, but but that that is is basically intended to to as a power decentralizing mechanism and as a mechanism for involving quote the conscience of the community in the administration of justice and and it's a slippery slope going going down into a very dark and ugly place when you start trusting individual men at that point you get to the 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 principle of rule of law versus rule of men the two are contrasted and 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 then the only thing other than rule of specific men is rule of communities through their conscience of the community which the common law local venue jury process is is designed to facilitate um so, so you know, I, I, I don't want to entrench and, and browbeat you on the issue, but, but no, perhaps... I'm not feeling that. Okay, okay, well, Charles. well, Charles. I, I yield, and go ahead. Charles. Yes, this is Hartford. Yes, go ahead. I'd like to make a comment here that's probably a little off the wall to most of you, but I'm going to go through this routine. It's a way of looking at the strategy of, of, of jury trials and... Uh, resolving problems. Sure, Cartford, please go ahead. The most important, there's the, there's a basic, you talk maxims. If you have two objects, A and B, and A can exist without B, but B cannot exist without A, then A is considered the more fundamental. B is secondary. If you go back in time and you look at the, the legal systems of the world, they all come back to one. That's the laws of nature. The laws of nature basically are the laws of it, the exchange of matter and energy, plain and simple. That's, that is what true commercial law is under nature, the exchange of matter and energy. In the animal world, it's called the food chain, but uh, in a human world, there is supposed to be what is considered a more logical method of moving matter and energy back and forth. You have two basic considerations at this point, whether you're dealing with the public as individuals 
or whether you're dealing with them in some type of a corporate structure. So the the the, the matter that uh, you have four courts, in other words, you have two courts with regard to commerce, and you got two courts with regard to what we would call corporate entities. The two courts on the public side are one is the court of public opinion, and the other one is the court of the jury trial, trial by jury. Those are the two that work within the commercial side of it. They're not governed by corporations. They're governed by the, the mere concept and processes of commerce, the exchange of matter and energy. Technically, in those two forms of court, it's not a matter so much of morals or ethics or uh, consciousness of other people. It's merely business. And most things that people argue over have a commercial side to them, even marriage itself, because marriage in itself, compared to prostitution, the difference between the two contracts is the terms of the contract and the length of the contract. So even the things most dearly held as romantic have their conjugal relationship or consortium. So there is a world of commerce which includes all people on an equal basis because the laws of nature apply equally to everybody. That doesn't mean some won't be more wealthy than others, but the rules of that govern commerce are fundamental. And since commerce has existed from the beginnings of time without courts, it does not need courts. It's obvious it doesn't need courts in itself. The existence of courts, courts always need commerce, but commerce does not need the courts. So the people who do the laboring establish the flow of commerce. It's all on their side. What happens then is large groups of people, single groups, single people and large groups of people try to find method of of stealing the commercial aspect of things and putting it under their own control. And that builds the corporate side, which is necessary for some major operations, but the corporate side is a world of its own. It's a licensed world. It, the licenses tend to break the true commercial relationships. The state's license corporations. The states themselves are corporations. When a matter is taken up before the court, anybody that appears before the court is faced with four different kinds of courts. The court of public opinion on the street, the other court of peers, which would be your trial by jury. The next court is called the equity court, it's different from the trial by jury court. It's a judge-only court. The equity court is a judge-only court. But the condition on an equity equity court is that it can't proceed with the judge unless it has, the judge has the, the written consent 
of both parties on both sides before it can proceed. That is the protection of the individual. If the individual doesn't feel that they're going to get justice in the judge-only court, that the judge might be bribed, he has the right to disown it or disconnect from it and go back to the trial by jury court. The other, the other court that's a judge-only court would be the summary court. Now, the characteristic of both the, the equity court and the summary court is that one, in the equity court, one of the parties will be natural, real, flesh and blood. The other one can be the other party in the contest can be flesh and blood or it can be a corporation. Now we move over to the summary court. The summary court is by its very nature a judge-only court also. It differs from the equity court in that both parties in a summary court are corporate. No private persons, no flesh and blood people have any place in a summary court. The thing that characterizes this picture is this. All corporate entities are, are licensed by the state, which is just another corporation. But they're all licensed by the state. The license gives them special privileges in the courtroom. That's the basic characteristic of a corporation because of its so-called unlimited liability. I mean, limited liability, excuse me because of the corporation's limited liability, the, the, the states promise that if the court, if the corporation goes to court, there will be certain ways in which the public can't attach it. If it goes into bankruptcy, the public has to eat the, the losses that they had in, in uh, investing in that corporation. The reason you have a rule in the equity court, the judge-only equity court, that you have to have the consent for uh, for both parties. Each party's got to, both parties got to consent to the action before it can proceed. You have at the corporate side a state having licensed the entity. You see immediately here that the state corporation licensing the subcorporations is a silent partner in the corporation. All corporations have the state as a silent partner. In the equity court, you have a real person on one side, and on the other side you would have either a real person or a corporation. There is a standing under there. There's a basic understanding between the, the states and the federal governments, or any other government, any court, equity court, that the state will permit the judge automatically to move forward in the court. In the summary court, you have two corporations, one on each side. The judge knows he does not have to have the consent of either side because he automatically has the consent of the states because they are the silent partners 
and they give their consent to the judges. In the equity court, the same thing happens with the equity court. If there's a corporation, the judge doesn't have to have the consent of both parties on the, on the board because he automatically has the consent of the state, which is a silent partner running the corporation. All corporations are subject to this licensing corporation. And so when you have a judge-only court, you have the problem that the bribery is very easy to do. The judge can be tilted in any way the system on the outside, the corporate system wants to move him. And the common person has very little opportunity in a judge-only equity court, and he has no place whatsoever in a summary court. So if he's drawn into a summary court, all he has to say is, I am a live person. I am not a licensed corporation. You have no jurisdiction over me. I'm a private entity. That's enough technically to eject him from the summary court. Then he lands in the equity court. Now the judge may have the consent of the corporation on the opposite side, but he has to have the written consent and affidavit form sworn to that he has given the judge consent to take the case. Otherwise, the judge has no power over him because all affidavit processes technically have their roots in commerce, no place else, because only in commerce do you have absolutes. And so if he does not give his consent, the court has no jurisdiction. The courts have no jurisdiction over commerce whatsoever. People think they do, but they don't. It all all active action that courts take on commerce is all given to them by consent, either wittingly or unwittingly. Because everything in commerce is by affidavit. And the affidavit itself is a signal that the thing has a commercial foundation. Now, you can see this if you look at Title 18, Section 1581, or Title 18, uh, Title 42, Section 1994. There will be no peonage or involuntary servitude in the United States. 42 U.S.C. 1994 is the spirit of the law. Title 18, Section 1581 is the letter of the law. Let me give you an example. We've been talking about the criminal process. Under the criminal process, Title 18, Section 4 says, if you, if if you are aware of a crime that has been committed under the laws of the United States and you do not report it immediately to someone in civil or military authority, a judge or someone in civil or military authority, you can be fined and imprisoned. So the situation is the government of the United States is saying you can always file a criminal complaint with the United States government. It's mandatory. Under Title 18, Section 4, it's mandatory if you know it exists. And furthermore, since it's mandatory, if you if you have to do work to bring that criminal complaint together or to deliver it or any other costs you have may have in reporting that criminal complaint. 
the government has got to remunerate remunerate you for it, pay the fee for it. That's under Title 42, 1994, Section 1994, and 1581, 18 U.S.C. 1581. So when the government mandates that you have to file a, a, char, a criminal complaint if you know a crime's been committed, at the same time, it assumes the responsibility to pay you for the service. That's right in the law. Mm-hmm. And so, if, if that, they, since they have made it mandatory, there can be no filing fees for filing criminal complaints. Anything that's made mandatory they can't charge a fee for. So there's no fee in filing a federal criminal complaint. You talk about these courts in the states not doing what they're supposed to do. They can be brought immediately before the federal courts for not doing what the Constitution says they are supposed to do. You can bring them directly before the criminal courts. In the state system, even you bring the state operators before the federal criminal courts. Now, if they don't want to do the job they're supposed to do, if the prosecuting attorneys won't prosecute the criminal complaints, they've affected a process called selective prosecution. Selective prosecution would interfere with your commercial rights and your commercial remedies, but you always have commercial rights and remedies. And so when they try to stop your commercial rights and remedies, they've impeded the only thing you have. And so what you have, you have to create a new remedy. So when you file a criminal complaint, if that criminal complaint is itemized under the constitutional criminal complaint type, a box form, uh, traffic citation type form, every box represents a certain amount of money. Title 18-241, each violation would be, that's a conspiracy, each violation would be worth $10,000 per box on such a citation, each box representing a part of the Constitution violated. And if they used a 242, that's a loan act, that would be $1,000 a box. These dollar amounts have to be collected at the end of the criminal complaint after the notary. As a standby optional method of remedy in case the prosecuting attorney exercises selective prosecution. If the prosecuting attorney exercises selective prosecution, then automatically within a week you can go down to the county recorder and record the criminal complaint in the form of a lien. And that lien will have the lien value of the value placed, a fair market value set at the end of that criminal complaint. And if it's not responded to, if it's not contested within 90 days, it becomes a default judgment. And that lien takes a position of being a negotiable instrument and can go out on the street as a notice of default. And that notice of default will have a value that's stated to be what's known as a lien assignment. This is the standard method that can be applied to convert any negative behavior of any public official into a currency note on the street 
which would be redeemable in money from the government or from the the officer that violated the law. A criminal complaint is always in behalf of the public because it's in behalf of the public health and welfare and security. When you file a criminal complaint, you don't file a criminal complaint in your own behalf for your own money. You file it in behalf of the public. All criminal complaints are filed in behalf of the public. And therefore, the person who makes the claim, the accusation, bringing that accusation makes him what would be called a public proxy, plaintiff. Public proxy means he's acting in behalf of the public. And because he's acting in behalf of the public, no government agency can lawfully arrest him under any circumstances, because Title 18, Section 4 is mandated the process happen, and it's being carried forward by a proxy, a representative of the public, and laid before the court, sworn to be a problem. May I interject? Go ahead. Thank you, sir, and thank you for that dissertation. I will let you know that there is a lady down in Savannah, Georgia, recently filed a federal criminal complaint against a district attorney of the state of Georgia, Bullock County to be exact, and the magistrate judge and the chief judge of the U.S. District Court, Southern District of Georgia, denied her access to the courts by ruling that a citizen does not have the right to prosecute criminal offenses in a United States District Court, and she has taken that question up on appeal to the 11th Circuit. Well, she's just a little technicality. You just skipped right over, which is very interesting. When a person files a criminal complaint that's filed with an office of the government, it's not being prosecuted by the citizen, so she was not able to prosecute that criminal complaint. So they couldn't charge her with trying to prosecute the complaint because she, did, she presented it as a criminal complaint to a prosecuting attorney in the system. So she did not prosecute it, and no citizen does prosecute a criminal complaint. That doesn't happen. What happens is a remedy is established in commerce if the prosecuting attorney refuses to prosecute the exercise selective prosecution. It automatically transfers the case out of the court system and onto the street in commerce. That's why the lien process comes into fit. Well, I would have to respectfully disagree. How? The, the reason being that there is what's known as prosecutorial discretion. Yes, but prosecutorial discretion in the situation we're talking about has to engage the fact that there's a commercial fair market value to violations of the U.S. Constitution under Title 18, Section 241 and 242. And because of that, when the matter is is selectively treated with selective prosecution, at the government level, it automatically gets catapulted right out of the court system, away from the jurisdiction of the court, 
and back into commercial law, pure commercial law, which okay. is inter, which is international commercial law. Yes, and when, and when what? Isn't it? What? Isn't that covered under the United uh, UCC Uniform Commercial Code? The Uniform Commercial Code is not international commercial law. Jewish international commercial law is the real thing. The UCC was a, a piece of machinery designed to serve the rich. Okay. It's not. A, it was not. It was a design. Supposedly there were four men that put it together, and it took about ten years. And if it took four men ten years to put it together, there's got a lot of loopholes, because regular commercial law is very simple. It's right in the Bible. You can cover almost the whole thing just in the Old Testament. And this has nothing to do with religion at all. And the thing that's uh, important to understand is that when the... Let me ask the, you. Just a second, let me finish this point. When the state refuses to prosecute the case, that leaves, in commerce, that leaves the matter unsettled. And the only way that can be settled is if the, if the instrument is, is transformed then from a criminal complaint to a lien. Now, now in, the, in these days, if a person goes ahead and files a lien directly, they are put under arrest. If they file directly against a public official, they get put under arrest for it, and they're, char they're charged with tampering with the duties of a public official or ter paper terrorism. The way that problem is resolved is very simple. Since a criminal complaint was filed by a proxy public, by a public uh, proxy, it follows that the, the matter is still a public issue. And when it goes to the lien process, the person that files the lien is a, what would be called a public escrow proxy. A public proxy because he's serving the public still. A public escrow proxy because he will become the bank when the thing becomes negotiable. And he's the one that is a trustee of the process. And in, and in three months, Jewish time, which is uh, Jewish commercial law, or, or what is known in the statutory form as 90 days, within that period of time, the opposing side has to answer by affidavit under commercial law the charges that are raised in that criminal complaint. And if they fail to do it, the matter goes into default and becomes a negotiable, negotiable instrument at that point. Then it has to be put on the street to establish a default notice with the public. And what is done then is that negotiable instrument, that lien, can be broken into parts which are called lien assignments. And each lien assignment becomes a piece of, so to speak, a, so an amount of money that goes out in the form of denominated currency. I have done all of these processes. I know how they're worked. And that's the way it ends. You have three basic process, four processes in the commercial system. The first thing that you have to deal with in the commercial system, if you're, if you're handling a case, is the biography or diary or what would be called the event log. The second thing is the affidavit. The affidavit is the statement in, in the beginning of what is happening in this case. In the case, it would be a criminal complaint, for example. The next step in the thing is called a demand. Affidavits, demand, demand is the second stage in the procedural part. And that demand is in the form of a lien. 
The third stage, when that becomes uh, negotiable by default or failure to contest, it becomes a default notice. So you have three processes in commercial law, affidavits, demands, and notices. That's it. If you want to stop a process in commerce, you file what's called a notice of interest. It's a three-week three process. It's one of the best-known processes in all of the judicial system. If you want to sue somebody in law, you have to summons them. And the first statement in the summons is you have three, three weeks to make an appearance in, or 21 days. If you do not make an appearance in this court within 21 days, you may lose by default. That is a Jewish commercial notice of interest. It's international. And when that instrument, it's a one-page instrument, and when it's filed, it stops all processes, commercial and judicial, for three weeks. And it's very quickly honored by everybody. It's the foundation of the summons. And that same process is used throughout all of the material in commercial law. It's uh, Everything's in threes, three days, three weeks, three months, three years. And then it's changed statutorily to 72 hours, 21 days, 90 days, and then three years again. But there's only the three processes, affidavits, demands, and notices. Point of interest. Hartford, is there a form that you have to file, like common law, to the T and to the separation of the two lines and whatever? Well, I didn't quite understand what you're saying. In common law, common law pleading, you have to follow form. You have to understand something. The common law is in the public side. It's not the natural law. The natural law of commerce has nothing to do with common law. You're talking about law. You're talking about. I'm asking is that it is a a form you have to follow to the T like common law to present this criminal offense. No, it's just a standard uh, ledger form. Quantity, unit cost, total cost, total. It's, it's done just exactly like you would any invoice statement. It becomes an affidavit, a sworn affidavit. It's a standard billing statement in that respect that the final demand is. That's the second stage. The first stage is the affidavit stage, which takes your allegations and puts it into a form of, in the case of a criminal act, you're charging somebody with offending you. Usually, it's most, most offenses are uh, commercial offenses. They can, be, they can be physical damage offenses, but people tend to put dollar values on those in civil cases. So what I'm asking is, Hartford, can I handwrite this complaint out? You know, I mean, the the criminal complaint. Can I handwrite it out instead of typewrite it out in a certain font size? That's what I'm asking. Yes, the criminal complaint is available. The the criminal complaint I'm referring to was established in 1996, Mm -hmm. 1976, and it's available if you look at c4-cd.com. 4-cd.com. And then uh, the other one you would look up is uh, the scanned retina, 
S-C-A-N-N-E-D, retina, R-E-T-I-N-A. ScannedRetina.com, that's Arnie Rosner's site. He's, he's got about 65,000 things, I think, on his Internet site. And what I'll do here is I'll give you Arnie Rosner's telephone number, and you can call him and he can tell you where it is on his site. Uh, Hartford, um, yeah. I, I've got all of your files on my site right here. Well, that's great. Yeah, just, um, just I, I posted a web link in the chat room earlier, and I, I can do it again to, to all of your files, your banking books, your your lien forms, your model criminal complaint with all the check boxes and everything. It's all right there. That's good. Wow. Thank you. I didn't know you had that. All right. Well, I, I thought I mentioned it to you before, but maybe not. No, you didn't. I didn't recall it. I might have. You might have said it, but that doesn't mean I heard it. <laughs> All right. Well, if, uh, if I may, uh, this, this David. is David. Yeah. I just wanted to, to quickly um, thank uh, Hartford Van Dyke. Um, you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me, Hartford, that uh, you can speak so eloquently and so cogently uh, uh, with with all of your facilities there. Uh, and I want to thank you for. Uh, I think that I'm getting ready to file something in the U.S. Supreme Court, and uh, you just, I'm going to get this recording here, uh, because uh, what you you just stated is going to help me immensely in in putting things so concisely. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, Now, Charles, Charles, I have a question to ask you. Sure. You know I have two main manuals. The Fundamental Principles and Processes of Commercial Law. It's about 159 pages. And I've got the book, the Public Wealth Rebate Bank Account Number, CR96-500C, which was a place where I uh, brought charges against a federal judge, a chief judge in Seattle, Washington, and five U.S. attorneys. That, those two, and that manual is about 139 pages. I used to have those things in text form and digital, but but I don't have them anymore. When I went into prison, some of the stuff got lost. Mm-hmm. But I but I have the the manuals themselves, and I do provide provide them for people's readings. I sell the manuals, but the uh, I don't have them in anything but hardcover. So, do you have the hardcover of those two things? I, I don't have hardcover books. I I think I've got printouts of some of your stuff off of a computer PDF file. and That would be good if, yeah, if you could find that. If, but if you don't have these things, my main manuals, you know, do you not, are you able to do PDF? Yeah, yeah. Most people here, I think, can do PDFs just fine, Hartford. Well, the thing I could do is I could provide you with copies of those two manuals and you could put them on PDF. But okay, do, well, it. I, do it. Uh, if if uh, um, you're talking about a hard copy that would need to be scanned. Yes. Okay. Well, um, uh, I'll do my best. I'm. You're this. looking at about 300 pages of scanning. Uh, uh, Harvard. Uh, this is David. Uh, Charles should have my uh, my physical address. If you want to send those to me, I'll scan them those for you uh, impromptu. Okay, I'll do it right away. 
Uh, if David's willing to volunteer for that, that that would be better than me, Hartford. I'm, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll call you later and give you David's physical address, and um, uh, then you can mail those to David, and we can follow up with that. Absolutely. That way you have them. Thank Otherwise, you, Arthur. Yeah, and there's a, a few other writings of mine I can probably send you could put up on that PDF, too. That would be no problem. There's no the book problem. Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. Are you aware of that one? Well, yeah, yeah that's already scanned, though. That, that's already out there. Yeah, you know, in fact, the French just printed it, published a copy of it out. You can get it off the Internet in, in French now. It's gone all it's gone all the way around the world. That's awesome. But uh the other is uh, the skeleton in Uncle Sam's closet. That's my book on Pearl Harbor. Pearl right. Harbor attack. That's also yep. available. And uh, the uniform bonding code, which is something I put together just to help people understand what sort of activities have to be bonded within a public government? You know, that uniform bonding code, I've always wondered who authored that because I didn't ever see any author in that. I must have forgot to put it on it. So, it was done a long time ago. That was done about 19, about the same time the Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars was started. 1978. I've uh, just posted the web link in the chat window to your version of Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, dear Hartford. Um, so we've got that on the web page. Also, I believe I've got yeah. Well, Mr. the one you don't have on the web web page is that see Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars is 56 pages, eight and a half by five and a half format, or about 29 pages, eight and a half by 11. That's just the book. And that uh, comes out about 30 pages. The total number of pages in the book that I have on Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, which includes information on its history, the logic behind it, the, and those sort of things, it runs uh, 88 pages. So um, so you can... If you want a copy of that one, you can work with it, too. Okay. Uh, um, can we bring the discussion back around to commercial law? I'm, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing two people at the same time. Sorry, Charles. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, uh, Hartford, you just send whatever you need scanned. I will make sure that it gets to Charles. I'll scan it and get it to Charles. Okay. Maybe a copy to me. You got it. Okay. Thank you, David. Uh, I, I, all I need is the address to send the material to. I, I'll give you a call tomorrow, Hartford, with, and and uh, if you have a pencil sharp, I, you, I'll articulate it for you and you can write it down. Okay. Or maybe I'll leave it on your answering machine or something. But um, can, no, can, Just contact me. I'll be here tomorrow. Okay, okay. Can, can, can we bring it back around to commercial law and common law? Now? Yeah, did, did you cover all the points about your individual books there? I was hoping to get back. There, there's some issues with commercial law and common law that I was hoping to revisit a little bit more. Well, ones. 
There's only yeah. four processes. And when it comes to solving the problems, in the, you see, you, you, this is how the basic diagram works. There's ten elements to it. On, if you do it in frames, let's do it in frames. We have five, five, five vertical columns. In the first column in the middle, we have what's called the biography. That's the allegations of the situation. It's divided into two parts, events and comments. The difference between an event and a comment in a biography or diary or allegation, the difference between the event and the comments is that an event is something that can be witnessed by anybody. A comment is something that's totally internal, how you feel about what happened, what laws you think appeal, apply, and all of that sort of stuff. And so, and so, basically, what happens in a in a legal process, your your event that happens, whatever it is, the thing that you're alleging, is divided into two elements. On, on the one side, evidence as to facts, witnessable facts, and on the other side, to your opinions of law and principles and philosophy that govern how you want to deal with it. And so when you take up, uh, uh, there's a there's a method of being extremely method methodological. <laughs> anyway, of being very accurate about the way you describe this stuff. By the way, there's a way of handling information so you can just squeeze the last little bit of it. And so anyway, what happens is you end up going into court with two briefcases, in a symbolic sense. One briefcase has all the facts and all, the, and the other briefcase has all the arguments. And so your job when you go into a court of law is to marry those two things together. That's basically what you're trying to do with a legal process, is to marry the facts and the opinions or philosophies. Once you have this basic building block to work with, and there are some interesting ways to create it too, by the way. Once you have this basic building block, it has three directions it's going to go possible. One will be the direction of criminal law. One will be the direction of civil law. And the one in the middle is the notice of interest. The notice of interest is the thing that stops the process anytime you want to. If you come up in against any issue in the court of law and the facts are not clear, you have the power to institute what's called a notice of interest. It's a, basically, it's a Jewish trade secret, or has been. It's similar to the concept of a Liz Pendens, but it's much more powerful. When you file a notice of interest in a case, it puts the brakes on absolutely for three weeks, stops whatever's going on, whether it's a sale of a house or any kind of, any kind of legal battle in the courtroom. You put in a commercial... Notice of interest by affidavit. All 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 commercial paperwork is by affidavit. And when you put that in, it puts the brakes on for three weeks. Jewish law. As I told you just before, it's in the summons process in every state of the union. You have three days. If you do not make an appearance in this, make an appearance in this case, within 21 days, you may lose by default. What that is saying is that your first effort in any legal process 
is to exhaust all of the commercial remedies, which means that you can raise any issue in that three weeks by affidavit, and unless it is answered by the opposing side in the form of a written affidavit, point for point, categorically, that case is frozen. It can't go forward either criminally or civilly. It's absolute. And if, if they haven't answered, you put in before just before the court, the, my affidavit asking questions relative to this issue were not answered. And having not been answered, we have not, the, the parties have not yet exhausted their remedies in commerce, and the court may not proceed. And if you want, I, I, now I've been in this business for 43 years. I don't use case law at all. But I will study a case law if I want to get the principle from it. The principles can always be taken in. If they say in the case of uh, Brown versus Sharp, such and such happened, you'd say this is not the case of Brown versus Sharp, this is James versus Jones. However, we will consider the principle in Brown versus Sharp. Now you force the attorney to go away from case law and to become a philosopher, and they hate it. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. They absolutely hate it. But you see, when you put that notice into the judge right before the bench, right as you go into the court system, you put it in the hands of the clerk and you put a walk a copy to the judge or have one the guard hand one to him. He's notified that the person has not yet the opposing side has not yet exhausted the remedies in commerce. Therefore, the court may not proceed. The judge has to follow that rule. It's absolute. You can look it up in American jurisprudence. You can look it up in Corpus Juris Secundum. But the plain fact is they can't move forward. And if you want a case, if you want case law on it, you go to Mellow Rich Builders versus San Bernardino County, California. That's exactly what happened. Mellow Rich Builders put in an affidavit in commerce, and the attorneys for San Bernardino County did not respond to that affidavit. It came before the judge, and the judge says, uh, we cannot proceed in this court because Mellow Rich Builders' affidavit has not yet been answered and stop the thing breaks right straight. And if you look up that site, you'll have 20 other sites right at your fingertips that were brought up in the same case. At Mellow Rich Builders, it's M-E-L-O-R-I-C-H. Eight letters, M-E-L-O-R-I-C-H. Mellow Rich Builders, apparently a construction company versus San Bernardino County, California. Bernardino, there's two R's in that. Let's say you go in and you put up an affidavit during that three-week period and it's not answered and you come into court and you say, your brief says the parties have not yet exhausted their remedies in commerce. The judge is going to look out and say, well, have you answered this affidavit? And he'll say, no. And so when he says no, the judge is going to have to say, well, if you, I can't proceed in this court, but if you two will go out in the hall and settle it between you, or can't settle it between you and out in the hall, come back in and we'll see what we can do about it. Well, that's a trick. Because if the, the judge tells you to go out, if they have, the person hasn't answered that affidavit, you can just walk away. If they go back into the court, the judge dares not proceed in inequity in that situation because he, he's, he's fully liable for it, and he knows it. And he's not going to put his... You, you think they don't have bonds? <laughs> they have bonds. Yeah, they do. You, you bet they have bonds. And you see, 
that judge knows that if those parties come back, if he's invited them back, if they can't solve it, he knows when they come back into that courtroom, after having been told that, that the court is no longer in commerce, it's in domestic, what you call. It's a domestic courtroom then. All of your family courts, all of your divorce courts are equity courts. They're all illegitimate because they don't have the, the they don't tell the people they have a right to not go to those courts. That's, those are all courts that are stacked in one direction only, behalf behalf of the state. And nobody has to go into a family court to get any type of resolution of a problem. So all those family court problems should be actually should be done before a common law grand jury or common law grand jury courts. Commercial courts. Don't you, mean a, don't you mean a trial jury, Hartford? A trial by jury, yes. That's different than a grand jury. I I, I got to, I got that wrong. You're correct. Thank that's, you. That's fine. Yeah, I meant to say jury 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 court. Good catch. And, and do, Good catch. when you say jury court, do you mean the same thing as a common law court? Trial by jury. With power, yeah, that, with power to negate the law. Yeah, th- that's that's the same as rules of the common law in the Seventh Amendment, right? Yeah, well, those are derivative from commercial law. They aren't. The, they are not the founding principles. You see, you have commercial law comes from nature. It's forever. Oh, boy, could I go down that subject? Uh, <laughs> anyway, but, but anyway, what happens is we have on the other side. See. You, you can go to Genesis in the Bible, and I'm not talking religion. I'm just talking about uh, what, you, what would be called astronomy, uh, celestial mechanics, and all the rest of that stuff. When, the, when things, what happens in the universe is the, the, the whole principle behind the universe is math and mechanical. It has nothing to do with a human being, a god creating things, or any of this sort. The process of the universe is math and mechanical. That may have bruised some Christians and others that don't don't think that way. But it's all physics and mathematics, mathematics. And and everything is out there in a chaotic state or or, uh, becoming arranged according to certain principles of physics. And when it finally settles in, the particles are created in free space. That's another interesting process, which I'm not going to go down tonight. But... uh, what happens is the stars are formed, the hydrogen gravitates into small areas, and uh, as the compression happens, temperature goes up, there's an ignition, and we have a nuclear reaction called a sun. And things get exploded out into space, it's thrown all over the place, spewed around, and it's very chaotic. Things are whizzing around each other by gravity. Well, it settles down finally, a few clouds of it, and it becomes a planet. The temperatures are very high to begin with, and then as time goes on, the things cool off, and finally they come down to the level, depending on how far they are from their immediate sun or, or central body. Uh, what happens is the temperatures start to come back and come to a reasonable range, we, what we call reasonable, which is from between freezing and boiling water. And some chemical processes work other beyond those a little ways. But it's a very narrow band of of temperature. When that happens, the chemical uh, elements have a chance to organize themselves 
over a period of time by evolution into living creatures. And as they do that, they communicate constantly back and forth because all the forces in nature essentially are electromagnetic, electrical, magnetic, and gravitational. Those are the primary three forces. And as a result of these forces, the compounds are able to move into orbits certain ways. The electrons spin around the centers of the atoms. They cause a, that's a frequency of vibration as it moves around that circle. And uh, when you study music, you find out that there, that there are certain combinations that will resonate with each other, like uh, we call them harmonics. Uh, if you've got two strings and one vibrates twice, uh, you have a, one standard note, a string that swings back and forth, another string that swings back and forth twice as fast. It's called the second harmonic. You've got one that swings back and forth three times as, as the first one swings once. That would be the third harmonic and so forth, up the line. And you can go these strings, you can tune these strings in equal spaces. Uh, it's called the diatonic method of doing it. We have a piano keyboard system in our music. There's 12 notes to this. There's, there's, if you go by a kiddie's piano, it's, it's seven notes to the uh, to this full range or octave, as they call it, or the scale. There's seven notes to the scale, and but those but that's the only one you can tune perfectly. When you try to uh, tune the others, there's a certain amount of error that comes into about four percent. So when you have a twelve, when you have uh, twelve notes uh, in the full scale, then that's the ones we commonly use in all of our music around here now in this country. Twelve notes to the scale. It's still called an octave because it's between two two notes, two strings that vibrate in a ratio of two to one. And if you go up these systems, you'll find that if you equally if you equally space the notes on a piano, that's called a diatonic scale. There's a number you can multiply. You can have a string like C if it's 256 cycles a second. There is a number you can multiply that by that will give you the next note up. And then that same number is used to, to tune every single string all the way up the piano keyboard. It's only possible for things to work out in good sounding music if there's 12, seven notes to the scale or 12 notes to the scale. And, the, and you can actually double that to half tones, 25, 24 notes to the scale. The one though that's magic is 31 notes to the scale. And it's the 31 notes to the scale frequency vibration system that is the one that sets up the spacing of the chemical elements in the periodic table of elements. So the whole nature, everything in nature runs on a, what would be equivalent to a musical keyboard. And that musical keyboard is extremely high frequencies. And they're electromagnetic. So that's what sets the basis of the, of the organization structure in our whole universe. It's the 31-note scale 31-step uh, scale of the electromagnetic harmonic series. And that's why everything in the universe is uniform that way. If you look out a telescope at a far distant star, billions of light years away, you collect its light and you bring it through a spectrometer and it splits it into in spectral lines and you can tell exactly what elements are in that star billions of light years away because it's the same harmonic scale everywhere in the universe.
And so, so when you have these, you have process, processes like this. What happens in the in biology is that everything in nature is on the 31 note scale, and everything is in electromagnetic communication with everything else that's living. So that the, actually the biological skin of the earth called the biosphere is a brain, an extremely complex brain. It's composed of all living things. It has the capacity to look, it has the capacity to pick up the thoughts of any particular creature it wants to, addressed by DNA. This is the cell phone, the ultimate cell phone in the universe is, is the brain of a planet. It is in control of all of the evolution, all of the operations and functions of the planet. And if man thinks he's in power, no, sir. And if an extraterrestrial comes from outer space into this planet, it be, it, the planet itself is the controller. It is the host, and the, uh, and the extraterrestrial is a visitor, and they know that relationship because they're smart enough by then. If they can get across the universe, the only way they can navigate is by following the radio band of, the, of living matter. And they track it right to the doorstep of the planet. And when they come into this planet, they're stepping into a household of the mind of nature. And they have to conduct themselves according to certain rules or they get put out, banned. And that's the way it works in the universe. It's no different than our society, except it's on a much higher scale. And the mind of nature can look through anybody's eyes, listen through anybody's ears, and sense anything through anybody it wants to. As, in, as Einstein said, God is not malicious, but God is subtle. And who would know better than somebody who had to deal with all that? mathematics governing electricity, magnetism, and gravity? And so what people think of as God is the mind of nature. It's 24 hours awake all the time. And here we are, human beings, we have two minds. We have our conscious mind and our subconscious mind, or our sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system. Our conscious mind is to go out there and dig groceries out, get whatever we've got to have to live on. That's what the conscious mind is for, is to hunt for food and to serve, help the body survive. The higher mind of the body, what some people call the subconscious or the superconscious, controls all the functions of the human body and it collects data constantly, 24 hours a day. If a, a car goes down the road, the conscious mind sees the car. Maybe it sees it's a red car or some other color of car, but it doesn't see much more than that. But the higher mind sees the license plate. So there's a part of your mind that works that way. The higher mind is a, it's a buffer it's a buffer between the mind of nature and the conscious mind. The higher mind of your body listens to the mind of nature. That's its source of information. And then the higher mind has the job of translating that into your current language, if it's French or German or whatever. That's how the system works. And there's a barrier between these two. And most of the barrier that exists between the higher mind and the conscious mind is arrogance. Plain, simple arrogance. The conscious, conscious mind thinks it's smart. It can ask for, uh, the only things that it uses is how do we get a telephone number or an address. But a person can get in a mental state, pur purposely get into a state of mind that they can sh shut down the conscious uh, interferences and they can allow themselves to be lectured to for hours at a time 
by the higher mind. It's only it'll just start a lecture. You start a lecture with your higher mind, and it'll take over, and it will tell you everything you need to know about your current situations. Because it has all that information logged, and it's the most frustrated part of your body is the higher mind, because it knows the foolish mistakes you're about to make and wish you didn't. Okay, man. So that's how it works. And so when you when you write a legal brief, well, let's let's go back to the, the court case situation we had here. We were talking about the the fact that you have. Uh, well, I'm bouncing around too much, maybe. But uh, we had a situation where you've been in court. Your your affidavits weren't answered. It stops the court case. When you enter a courtroom, the first thing you do, when you're in the courtroom, the judge walks in, the clerk says, everybody rise. The judge sits down. She says, everybody sit down. Then the judge starts going through the role of who's supposed to be there. When they come to your name, you stand up and say, as I would say, I, Hartford Van Dyke, solemnly swear on my own commercial liability that the testimony that I will give before this court will be to the best of my knowledge and belief, true, correct, complete, not misleading the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Having said that, I have converted the jurisdiction of that court over into pure commerce, and from then on, I can require that every transaction in that courtroom be done on paper by affidavit sworn. That's Sounding great, Hartford. That's the way you do business in a court. Well, I don't see why we can't do similar process when we have criminal complaints. It's the same thing. It's all the same. It's all a matter of information exchange, and it has to be accurate. And commerce requires absolute accuracy. In fact, it requires too great an accuracy. We're born into the world as animals, and we have to learn to become human beings. And because of that, we need grace. Commerce is too strict. People make mistakes. And so there has to be grace built into the system in order to make it work. And that was the teachings of Jesus. And it was picked up by Thomas Jefferson when he produced what was called the Jefferson Bible. He yeah. only re- he only recited the philosophy of Jesus. He did not re- There's nothing, as I understand, I've never read it. But I know what he's got, what he took out of it, as he said. That, yeah. Uh, what he what he kept was the philosophy, but he didn't mention any of the miracles. Yeah, I, I like the Jefferson Bible. Generally speaking, I don't know the details either, but there's 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 things in the Bible that I believe are in error. Um, um, but but generally speaking, the principles embodied therein are are precious, profoundly enlightening. And, and they I, all, the, the fundamental thing you look for in that relationship is do unto others as you would that they do unto you. Mm-hmm. Golden, the golden rule. rule. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesus boiled down the Ten Commandments to two. Um, no, uh, you made a mistake. Huh? He says there are two commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all thy strength, mind, heart, soul, etc. Yeah. And the second was love thy neighbor as thyself. Yeah, yeah. But he missed the third one. How can you how can you love your neighbor if you don't first love yourself? So there are three commandments: love God, love the, love yourself, and love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> okay. Um, Surprise. Okay. Well. Surprise. Oh, God, I think I've heard the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. 
<laughs> Thank you, young man. And yes, with sir. that, I say good night because yeah, I'm on the East Coast and I can't hang with you guys. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to fold it up for tonight too. I, I've got the same problem, but I'm on the Pacific Coast. But I've got but I've got to get back to this, and I'm a, I'll come on again next week. Doing it again next week, Hartford. Um, and, and Paul from Georgia, I'm glad you could join with us too. You and Hartford bouncing off each other's, and our friend from Carolina, and and others, everybody. Mo, um, uh, we'll continue to hang here, but but I, I'm really glad, uh, especially Hartford and, and Paul, uh, they got to go here. We're able to join with us, and um, uh, we'll plan on doing this again next week if everybody's open to that. Okay. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. Paul, I hope we meet sometime. Yes, sir. Indeed. Thank you all. All right. Well, um, Hartford's hung up, I can see, and it looks like Paul did too. Um, at that point, we can we can kind of um, uh, open up the discussion for um, uh, less senior law scholars here, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> for us, open. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead with your idea? You were talking about having your own grand jury or, or jury um, premise. So you, that's what got us in this this discussion. Was you Thank bringing you. that to forward? You know, and that's why I brought it up with our own equity, our chancellery courts, instead of having their chancellery courts, which they don't have um, them handy for us. But go ahead. I'd love to hear what you have uh, remedy for us. Okay. If if there is there anybody else competing for the microphone here that has ideas that we should they'd like to put on the table also. Um, Mo here. That was awesome. Thank you, Charles, for for bringing this about. I'm sitting here. It's like, oh wow. Well, you, you know. Provide- so thank you. You provided key ingredients. Hartford could could pick up on on the heartstrings you're pulling on with the case of the the Parsons there, um, and I'm sure Paul did too, and others did too. And so, you know, it, when we all bring our own essential ingredients to the forum, then boom, God's Holy Spirit appears, and good things happen. Right. Now, Mel, does. I, and go ahead. Mel, I'm confused now. I thought you heard have heard of everything. I held you to that high degree, and here you are, got your mouth open trying to get through the information. That's unreal. Hartford Van Dyke, I've read him for years. I've heard people talk about Hartford. Oh, my goodness. What a giant. That's why I can't go to sleep now. I'm I'm on the East Coast, too, and I can't go to sleep. (laughs) thank you. I'm telling you. Oh, my goodness. We need to frame this one in a, 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 a golden frame here. Well, oh, my I, goodness. That's awesome. I, I'm really glad that we do. Past conferences weren't nearly so colorful and as lightning as this, but um, perhaps some of them, but, but not very many. Um, is is um, Rocco still with you? Three-wayed in? or uh, yeah. uh, Rocco, are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. All right. Well, I was hoping maybe you'd get to to take a pot shot at Hartford there and a little bit too, Rocco. Um, but oh, he was on a roll. I was I was enjoying it. I have to go back and 
you know, transcribe, you know, this stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I know Mel has a lot going on, and obviously I'm I'm trying to work my angle, my case that's been going on nine years and involves my children, and it's just, you know, um, you know, that's on my mind, but that's it's a lot to take in. And I'm actually at the affidavit stage because, you know, my children were snatched by the state, and it involves, and they're finally their eyes are open and they want to help me out. So we're at least two out of three are. Um, so we're at the affidavit stage where they can write some affidavits. So um, we'll see. I still need to uh, guidance if there's any guidance out there. Mm-hmm. Want to do it right. It's all about doing it right down to the last letter. So Right. Um, right, and I've got an affidavit as well that includes a criminal complaint uh, in in the mix, and uh, w- what he said tonight greatly helped me. Ah, okay. Well, I'm glad you found tangible insights for your real world uh, uh, judicial entanglements here. <laughs> right. Well, it's mainly well, dealing well, with what we, we've all kind of ran into that brick wall that they put up. Uh, the defense of being dishonorable towards our presentments, not honoring our presentments in every case. And that's what we're trying to remedy here. Um, And, you know, that's one way of doing it, like he was talking about. It's the administrative process. Yeah, how are you guys set up with the the court, with the 12 people, the jury? That's what I'm curious about. So, Uh, you know, do you have 12 people? Well, um... Yeah, I presume you're talking to me, Charles, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. My understanding of common law, the older versions of common law, people could go out in the community and and make their case knocking on doors, talking to people. And and, um, uh, they're under the, the jury assembled at the regular township and precinct level community meetings. And, um, the the assembly of the jury for a unanimous verdict was was a spontaneous thing because the the, the jurors were pledged on their honor to the community to um uh, uh exercise good faith in discovering the truth it wasn't a partisan thing seeing who, who which side of the dispute can get um more people on their side. No, no honorable man uh, in, in th- with qualified elector status bought into loyalty to any particular man. They, they were there to, to bring forth the conscience of the community, to bring forth justice in a God-fearing community with accountability to their souls for, for whether or not they brought forth justice. And so they're I, under... Okay. I, I mean, I... I get, I get all that. I now, I, but I'm to, to cut in here. Are you suggesting that um, it's we can assemble our own jury. local assembly? The yeah, the and, and, and we can do only that. Well, that's I'm, okay. I'm saying you're endorsing or as an option in online community per se of twelve. You know, because you know it is difficult because there's a lot of sheeple out there and. It's foreign to them, and people just want to go get their paycheck, not think about anything, and buy their trinkets and just slam the door in your face. So that's what I'm I'm, I'm getting at. Well, those people would not be called electors. 
We need people that are well, known okay, by conscience right. to do what's right before God. And, okay, and the model jury verdicts that I've worked up are uh, have have wording like that in it, and they also say that if somebody shows me evidence that that I'm, my judgment here is in error, that I'll change it. Um, but once we get twelve people to sign a judgment in one direction or the yeah. other, then then I can put my rubber stamp on it, a court seal. I've got a USA um, court of law, okay. Supreme Court of law uh, seal. Uh, that, that I can put on a document, and boom, we can blast it out there to the de facto courts and demand full faith yeah, and credit in right. response to it. Yeah, that, that's that's what I'm looking at. This is the, this is going on nine years here. I mean, this has been all, you know, my, my case involves corporal punishment. You know, I shared with you, I do believe, you know, um, and this has been nine years uh and, and like I said, my children are finally waking up. They had no idea what was going to happen, and um, they were coerced and just didn't know any better and said some things they regret. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. trying are, to undo it, to, you know, correct it. Are you able to get any statements from your children that their previous statements uh, yeah, were? Yes, I'm. There? I, I'm working on it right now. That, that would be involved recanting, you know. Uh, hopefully, there's three that were party, you know, to this action. Um, so I think I can get the two out of the three. That's what I'm looking at. Because they well, did take the stand and they just... Uh, well, especially with supportive testimony from people outside of your immediate families that, that know you, know your character and reputation as an honorable man, such as Mel here. She knows you much better than yeah. I do. I could probably be even convinced to, to sign affidavit. Yeah. Leave right. your truth. Okay. Well, we can discuss this at length. This is obviously, this is prime importance to me. This is what I've been doing in this you know, this movement has crossed many boundaries. I was never chasing any kind of TDA account or gold or nothing. I This is all about my family. You know, I got yeah. seven children, six surviving, and uh, corporal punishment. It just all started, a, you know, a slap across my son's cheek, you know. The way the law reads, Wisconsin, you leave a red mark, a red mark that would disappear. If someone takes a picture of that red mark, that's one count of intentional abuse to a child. And so they got that out of me. They wanted me to plead out. I said, no, we're taking this to trial. And they said, okay. And then they they turned up the heat. Then they went to my two daughters. Oh, well, when your dad talks to you, right, sometimes he he grabs you by the chin. You know, we're talking thumb and index finger. You know, hey, you know, listen to me. You know, that routine when they dip their head down and I I pull it up and they go, oh, well, that's abuse. That's um, intentional abuse to a child. So three counts. Went to trial and lost. Uh, this has just been a nightmare. It's been a nightmare. I've been fighting this, never giving up, standing on, you know, some of this crazy stuff. I started out doing this commercial, but um, commercial remedies. I mean, I could tell you stories. I, I, you know, then got into the whole sovereign bit. And I, it's funny because some stuff worked, some didn't. I, I actually wrote a, a eighty thousand dollar promissory note at one point and got um, uh, child support. They came after me for child support. That got discharged not directly. They returned the note and said you did it all wrong. But oddly enough, 
that child support disappeared. So I got some very strange tales to tell. I just <laughs> judge running out of the courtroom, you know, judge permission to enter the bar upon the reservation of my constitutionally protected God-given unalienable rights. You know, then I repeated it, and the judge ran out of the courtroom. But the second time I did that, judge came off up the bench, you know, marched toward me and put me in shackles. So I have been a guinea pig, you know, and I've actually got had the other side withdrew when I appointed myself executor over the estate. So I've been around the block a few times. I just want my family restored. This is this is just insane. Yeah, and I, uh, I'm I still on paper. Uh, I'm still on paper. I had to, they revoked uh, probation. Did three years. So not only I do three years, going to be ending up. This October, getting off, I hope, paper, and then they, then, um, they say uh, everything's not paid up, guess what? Then I'd be going to a debtor's prison after they've got <laughs> all the time and all the probation. So I'm, I'm just ended on that. That's pretty much it, obviously. Uh, that's a general scope right there, but it's, it's pretty simple, but with the, you know, twists and turns spanning nine years and, yeah, you name it. A lot of details. Rocco Mo here. Talk about them. Yep. Mo here. In the late 1950s, don't tell anybody my age, <laughs> but I'm telling you what. <laughs> when Mom got the peach tree switch out, I had whelps on the back of my legs and bottom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. and you know what? It didn't hurt me a bit. It. I guess it worked. Yeah, it did at the time. It got the point in your brain, didn't it? Yeah, I, know. I you, sure do remember you, the sting now. If if you beat the child with a rod, he surely shall not die. I mean, I didn't use a rod. Nobody died. Nobody, they had to take a picture on my son's cheek. They turned, it was black and white. They turned up the color, the black, oh, so boy. much to try and get an image. People mm-hmm. were like, what am I looking at? I can't even tease face is black. My son is, you know, uh, a.k.a. white, Caucasian. And they were like, what am I looking at? I go, you're looking at their attempt to try and get a a dark resolution. Wow. I, I just can't. And, and you see, this is bigger. This is not just the case here. I'm going uh, to, it goes into not the hog this song, but my ex, you see, she talked me into appointing her executor over my late wife's estate. You see, there's money here, folks. It all started with, you know, my wife died half a million dollars in, in a house. You think there's not intent there? So she set me up, and and then she lied on the stand. I got her committing perjury. You know, I said, who came up with that down payment on the house? I did. She lied, $80,000. So she was painting a picture of me being a freeloader, and, the 18 months we were together, I contributed 10000 a month on average. I go, 180 grand. that's not exactly a freeloader, honey. So anyway, uh, and then she ended up going to prison for bilking Medicaid out of $1.522 million. So, And then we throw in the rogue FBI agent who, who turned the wrench in, in the case in the, in the first place. This reads like a tawdry novel. I, I've wrote to the Office of Inspector General because the FBI agent, I fear for my life, this is her former lover, who they both gang-stalked me. I have a whopper of a case here. So mm. I'll end on that. 
Raka, do you have um, copies of your paperwork on the web anywhere? I no. I here's. I have what I have uh, with me. I'd have to. Yeah, I have my paperwork uh, with me. Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the stuff it costs. You know, you go well, Wisconsin. They do not give out free copies. It's their state law. Well, we charge you know a buck whatever a page it's copy. It's paperwork. You can you can make PDF copies of anything you've got, and, and we can post it on the yeah. web to get this out yeah. to the public so that those intellectually inbred uh, 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 jackbooted Nazis aren't able to manipulate your case like this. Yeah. Well, yeah, I could, if if we could talk, you know, privately, I could go over maybe, you know, uh, get a, a hit list, uh, a request, <laughs> uh, bullet points, go down or what exactly you need. Because, you know, what, nine years into this, the, the, the um, the PTSD is still there. It's like yesterday when when you throw so much spaghetti up against the wall, and it just it all runs into the same thing. You want something that works. Bottom line, and and I'm just I'm still in a tough spot. They had me on a on a string. I mean, what? I can't even I can't even talk right now and tell you the the whole truth of my whereabouts because of the the contractual nature of the system and and, and I'm stuck to that flypaper I, I I you know it's just details where I'm staying what I'm doing presently because they disagree with the uh, extended supervision I'd go back to the big house I mean this is this is a day to day struggle with me okay. so. That's where I'm at. It's every day it, it it means something. This isn't this isn't some uh hey, can I discharge sixty grand in debt? I don't have a foreclosure. I owned my house free and clear. It was stolen from me by this ex. I mean, I had it all taken away. So never had a issue with all that stuff. I'm not, you know, bad mouthing people who are in that those situations. So as I learned, you don't even need to pay property tax and it's an ad valorem recurring tax. It's a commercial use tax. I can beat them to the Stone Age, you know. But I have other stuff in front of me. My children. None of that other stuff matters right now. You know, right to travel. You know, uh, locomotion, whatever, moving horizontally on, on the on the public right of way is my rights. The moment they hit those lights, it's a felony for uh, you know. Uh, for a false emergency. Yeah, I mean, I've learned a ton of stuff in the meantime, but I've not gotten out of this jam, you know, of extended supervision. It's hanging over my head. So I've thrown a lot of spaghetti against the wall in my time. I mean, we all have. Well, so um, maybe we could talk at length uh, privately, or I don't care if you want to talk now. I can take some notes, or you want to direct me to do some things, I'll take some notes well, right now. Follow the Holy Spirit, Mo, uh, uh, and Rick is still with us, and um, uh, Allie is still with us, um, uh, yeah. and we've got guest seven also. Uh, I think that's Carolina. Um, we should kind of uh, pass the talk and stick around a little bit here and try to develop a collective uh, consciousness of, of what's uh, right. uh, where everybody it, ever, would, would like to talk about. Uh, others, please... Uh, Chime in. Uh, would do you have others have things they'd like to contribute or say or raise as subjects for discussion here? Am I on here, brother? 
You're on, Rick. Okay. I've been trying to get on there, but Hartford got on there, and boy, I just I love listening to him. And uh, I believe I don't. He said that there was four courts, and I believe that from what I was writing down, I think he only covered the uh, two of those courts. You know, the equity and then the uh, summary courts. But I think he got on some other subject and didn't mention the two other types of courts. Or there was four courts with the commercial court. The first yeah. one was public opinion. The court of public opinion was the first one. Yeah, I think he quotes that with the commercial court. Okay, well, I was following along, but we got next week. And then peers. Then he said peers. Well, there was a summary court, though, and then the uh, that's yeah. the one where the – now, this is what I didn't get with the equity. I got question mark equals – is that administrative court? I would call it an administrative court. No, not the equity is not a administrative court. I did not court. hear That's him mention Okay, Carolina, yeah, please enlighten us. What's the difference between the administrative process and equity process there? Um, well, the, the process is totally different. Um, you have the maxims of law controlling the um, equity court where you have a commercial um, administrative process that you have um, stating the facts and then they acquiesce or they answer back and forth, back and forth. Uh, well, I thought commercial part. process, but so commercial process is different than equity process in your mind. Is that oh, correct? Yeah. Oh, yes. Exactly. Okay, and both of those are different from administrative process? Are you talking to me? Yes, yes, sir. All right, what did you say now? Well, it sounds like we've got at least three different processes here. Commercial process is one, equity process is two, and administrative process is three. It's three separate categories at least, is that right? Right, uh-huh. Okay, well, none of those have a trial by jury. And what Hartford calls is... The summary, he, said the, he said the summary court... Is a different one without jury too. Well, does that make four types of courts without any jury in them? He never mentioned the uh, administrative, the word administrative at all when he was talking. He was just talking about the equity, which has, uh, you know, which is just a judge um, that uh, you have to have it in writing. It has to be both parties have to agree. Agree. I can't proceed. And then the other one was that commerce uh, summary court where it can uh, no private uh, party can uh, uh, be compelled to to a summary court. And there there can be only one corporation, and that corporation would have to be of the state. And that's the only two courts that I remember him talking about. You know, out of the four. But as he was going through that, is Mo still on here, Mo? Oh, is Mo still here? I believe she is. Mo, are you there? She probably uh, stepped away because we're we're linked in on the same call. So okay, Matthew, well, I, yeah, well, it was. Uh, you know, I remember Mo was talking about there with uh, with Michael and uh, Patricia there, and I uh, this might. Uh, 
ring some bells with you, Charles, there, or bring up your, some of your knowledge. You know, when uh, we listened to Angela's calls with uh, Paul Hansen, and where he brings it up, uh, uh, what uh, what knowledge do you have that we rely upon that I elected to be a United States citizen? And, right. Uh, what knowledge do you have, or what knowledge do you reply upon that I took a sworn oath to elect to be a U.S. citizen? You, you know, you have to throw that back on them, and I believe he calls that territorial jurisdiction. Jurisdiction. Right, right, right. He says, I, I have no evidence in my possession that I ever elected to be a U.S. citizen. Right, but I didn't know if that's something for Mo, because uh, it's a federal yeah. court to be a citizen that, that they could use, you know. Pardon me, I right. have a question. Go ahead. I have Are you? We have, you, guys, you guys have got, all right, my name is Matt, right? And I'm from Ohio. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You've got roughly about fifteen people in this in this conference call, right? Are right. any literally are any of you that said said fifteen people tied to any kind of government, um, municipality, uh, whether it be a court system, whether it be a judge, whether it be a cop. Any any one of you, fifteen. Well, what, what's the purpose of your question, Matt? Are, are, are you because reading the topic of your your call, organizing, organic meaning, um, self perpetuating, self governing, constitutional government. So that's why I'm asking you if one of these f- said fifteen people are part of the said governing body in which I understand to be. Uh, I'm part of it. What's the thrust of your concern here, Matt? Why are you asking these questions? I'm asking you these questions because, again, organizing an an organic constitutional government completely goes against said government in which we've got in place at the moment. Well, I got news for you. I don't have said government in place right now at this moment. Everything's anarchy and chaos with a criminal racketeering scheme in charge of government right now. Well, that means you're not even in the United States. Is that what you're saying? I'm not part of the de facto Roman evil empire civil government that presently governs the United States, if that's what you're trying to ask, Matt. But you said you represent a governing body. Am I right? Yeah, I do. I represent the de jure organic people that follow due process of law, Matt. Okay, okay define that for me. Do you outside, know what the process of law is, Matt? Outside, I, I understand what I'm reading, and I understand what you said as far as being part of a governing body. But my question is, on top of all of this is, does said governing you know, government – in which all people or society in which right now we know to be that follows, do they even or would they even understand what you're trying to do? Organizing organic constitutional government. Constitutional, right, does not define self-governing organic um, belief because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to rouse up people spiritually and say there's something wrong with the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying to do that, Matt. Is that a problem for you? I'm I'm not done. Hang on. 
So knowing that you're trying to rile the spirit in said people. Wait, 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 wait. I object to the word rile. Rile I'm not trying to get inside a mob here. I'm trying to organize. There's a spark. There's a spark in my heart, right? And you're trying to you're trying to rile that spark in my heart to make me understand that I am not part of this what you call corporate slash. Um, you, I think you gave it a name too. What was it? Well, oh, I, I was saying this because I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to understand the nature of the call's title. I really, really am. It's organic. It's concerned about truth and justice as its highest priority. Then that would be, would that not be saying, I am a, I am a source, soul being. I'm an entity. I belong to nobody. No, I belong to an organic body politic of righteous American people. You just, okay, you, well, you said American people. And right now, those American people are, are under the tyranny Okay, of con of, of non-real true constitutional well, government. That, that, that's not a legitimate lawful government that they're under, and, and we've got the right to uh, uh, reform or abolish the the form of government that we're presently under and replace it with a new form of government, as the Declaration of Independence clearly specifies. Oh, I totally, I totally agree with you, but I'll also kind of disagree with you, saying that. I don't follow, or no, will, will I want to follow any law, whether it be an organic law? You an anarchist, man? Am I an No, I'm. I'm a. I'm a being. I am a being. Well, you okay. need to follow law. You don't. If, if you don't follow any law, you're an anarchist. I am a living being. I am Do you driven by natural the same. Law? Listen close. I'm driven by the same I am presence that you are driven by. Well, my, my I am presence is it, it follows laws of nature and nature's God. Well, then that I, I you've met you've met the same mirrored personality. Okay, well but your previous statement then is in error because I believe you said that that you don't follow any law and the laws of I nature are a form of law. My understanding of my own governing self. Well, that you, is you, what I, you yeah, say I you don't follow any law, but then you say you follow the laws of nature. I'm having problems with your whole presence here, Matt. Your question yeah. the I am presence. That's what you're doing at this moment. Is that what you're saying? I'm questioning your dichotomy between natural law and, and no law at all that you both clearly articulated out of different sides of your mouth. Because the I am presence has no law. It is the law. It oh, makes well, the you law. See, that, 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 Matt, um, you, you, you kind of boldly interrupted a conversation here that was going rather smoothly. And, and, yeah. and all of a sudden, you and I are in a serious, nasty conflict. And I'd be glad to carry this on with you, maybe after uh, our other more um, uh, mutually respectful participants finally got tired of the conversation and hang up. I'm, I'm diehard. I'll hang around here um, uh, as long as we can. Uh, and, and I'll revisit this with you if you, you, you want to hang around. But I'd like to continue with the more respectful uh, participants in here and the previous subjects that we were talking about before you jumped in and started making everything hostile here. How is that disrespectful or hostile? I don't want to talk with you about it anymore, Matt. You need to either sit down and be quiet or I'm going to mute you. Oh, okay. Well, why don't you do that because i got other things to do. Well, well, I think we can arrange that.
You have now been muted. Um, um, and uh, there you hung up, Matt. Okay, well, have a nice day, Matt. Um, I think we can get back to more mutually respectful discussion here, my friends. Yeah, I hope so. Wow. Mm. I went and Mo here. I went okay. and got a sandwich. But <laughs> I wanted to ask, I missed the last part of that, Um is Lone Star seventeen seventy six on the on the call? If I may, Charles. I I don't see anybody uh, that would have any linkages to a handle of Lone Star. Or well, I know, but they might they might have come in as a guest. Those poor guests. Okay, there there is a guest seven here. That's I, I think that might be Carolina though that was talking with us. Carolina. Yes. Uh, Is that me? Yeah, I, I think so. You're probably guest seven called in, uh, um, but you're not Lone Star, are you? No, not yet. Okay. Well, um, I think that that was the only possibility for a Lone Star uh, caller being among us, Mel, unless there's a three-way patch or something. Okay. I, I just wondered. Thank you. All right. I think uh, Carolina... We had an issue that, that we never got fully addressed there, didn't we? No, I just was wondering if uh, you want me to start a you know a jury pool of your own. Why couldn't we look at having a, an equity um, a chancery court of our own? Well. Um, uh, and you asked me, and you asked me the question. Well, um, I, you know, how are we going to get, uh, uh, you know, a you know honorable judge? Basically, is what you were asking me. And I and and I said, well, I'd like to have you as my, you know, chancellor in my situation. And that's because you're an honor. Thank you. Um, and and perhaps I and the judge has to stay in honor. He can't have his own opinions on the situation. He's got to look at both sides and and uh, determine that both that both are trying to be equitable towards each other, and we can split the difference. Or one is uh, got uh, dirty hands and he can't have anything. He's just um, betrayed every every good natured. Um, uh, honor there has been in the case or situation, and therefore he forfeited everything that uh, was brought up. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's just a, you know, and, and, and then you uh, you said something about about uh, grand jury foreman or foreman, and I said, well, uh, that's the same thing because uh, I was a foreman too, and I could bring a case, and I had to make a decision of bringing the case in front of the jury. Um, you know, that's that was my my duties, and that's basically what a um, a chancellor does. Same thing. You got to be an honor. It's, it can't be you know a commercial um, chancellor. <laughs> you know. But I like I like what uh, uh, what's his name Van uh, Van Dyke uh, bought Harvard. here. Harford, yeah, he he brought a different perception of um, a remedy 
And I wanted to ask him about, was he going into Norhide law, which is called Jewish law? Ah, well, uh, that's that would be a good one to ask him maybe next week. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but that's um, what we were talking about, you know, and he came in with that analogy, which was a blessing, you know, and a different perspective on what we were talking about was uh, in, in that long dissertation about the planets rotating in a certain um, rhythm and frequency. Yeah, I, I do enjoy getting into the metaphysics of that's related to the law here. Um, but to, to, to throw you a bone... Um, um, yeah, all of the concerns, all, all of the issues that were traditionally considered ex- issues to be resolved in an equity court, uh, my definition of a common law court in, in the original sense is it the, those courts had jurisdiction to try everything. There weren't no um, uh, uh, rigid parameters like in the, the the later versions of England where they called them common law courts, but they were all under the king's bench and uh, they were all real statutory in their nature and rigid. Um, um, uh, at, the, at the local levels, the, the conscience of the community coming up through the jury trial process can address all issues of equity, and and there is certain there is uh, um, uh, a lot of authority vested in the judicial officer of those precinct level courts. Um, and, and that judicial officer could exercise an equi- a type of an equity jurisdiction through his common law office, I think probably to address all of the issues that you've got any concern about there, Carolina. Do you have a other name? I don't remember if you called it. I'm Bruce. Bruce. Okay, that's my yeah. middle name. I should be able to remember that. Um, yeah. Well, that's my middle name, too. All right. Okay, your first name isn't Charles, is it? <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. Okay, okay. Well, but um, I, use Festus, I use Festus Hagen as my role model. Okay. Festus, wait, wait. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's Andy Griffith, isn't it? Or what was that? No, Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. There we go. Festus yeah, is a good smart. guy. Well, Festus Bruce is a good guy. He's he's a friend. Ah, okay. A friend I'm of us, ours. Yeah, yeah, he is. I invite Bruce. I insisted. Uh, <laughs> or I, no, I didn't I, insist. Bruce said I'll be there. All right. I invited. I I love slow talking people. Oh, I know, I know. Well, see, we do that down south. Bruce talks slower than I do. Yeah. But. Yeah, I, I hate Northeast Coasters in New York. They're all hyper-competitive in their words, and they lose their ability to carry on a respectful tone. Well, now I, can, I can talk like a South Carolinian, and, and you won't understand a word I say. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> but you might like it, but you won't understand a word I say. <laughs> well, you, you, you're sounding pretty clear so far. i got no problems with your words. Well, in South Chris is awesome. in, in Abbeville, uh, we came from Abbeville, France. We were driven out by the Catholics, uh, persecuted, and we fled. Uh-huh. We were the artists of Louis the Fourteenth, and we brought the, the art artists demeanor here, and we settled in his territory. And there's an Abbeville, Louisiana, 
and it's the formation of the same city as the mother town, Abbeville, France. Same formation, two squares connected together. In Abbeville, South Carolina, there is one square. And we settled Abbeville, South Carolina in the 1750s. We wrote the Declaration to Succeed from the Nation in, in, in um, 1860. So 100 years later, we wrote the Declaration, the Organic Declaration to Succeed from the Nation. <clears throat> and we wasn't a slave-driven society either, which they have bastardized the organic secession uh, papers. When I was growing up, this is no lie, when I was growing up in Abbeville, I always heard my mother say, we did not want to be under Abraham Lincoln as a president. That was the Abbeville saying that, and that was the whole state of South Carolina saying that. And before he took office is, a, is before is when we wrote the Declaration to Succeed from the Nation. And but I now, think Bruce, the, I'm sorry, Mo here. Tell them uh, why what you've told me before on that one. Oh, uh, just about getting it. Oh, I apologize. Okay, no, okay. Slow down. I now, slow down. back in those days. <clears throat> If you had a bastard child, you were painted or thrown out of the community, uh, and the child was labeled a bastard child the rest of his life, you know. And and we were very we were Protestant, like the Mennonites. So, what has come around, um, as I have heard uh, inklings of that uh, John C. Calhoun, he grew, well, he grew up in Abbeville. His father was a wagon train master taking people over to Louisiana where the Indians told John C. Calhoun's daddy, do not cross the Low River, else we're going to attack you. Well, he's been across the river so many times, he's not been attacked yet. Well, he's going to take the next you know, crew across. Well, he took the cross. He took them across the Little River, westward towards the Savannah River. Before he got to the Savannah River, they attacked him in the wagon train and massacred everybody in the wagon train except a little boy and a little girl. They were left like five and uh, three years old. They found them. They brought them back to Abbeville and raised them. John C. Calhoun was a little boy, the vice president of the United States. <clears throat> now, John C. Calhoun just has surfaced within the last 10 years of my lifespan, had a bastard child. And they could not let that ring through people's ears at a young age that he was in Abbeville. But he'd already been to college and stuff. Anyway, so he... Um, and the woman's name was a Hanks, and I grew up with some Hanks in my town um, during my day. Well, they took the girl that was pregnant, and they uh, got the um, Mr. Haney man, the good, the good guy that brought all the pots and pans around, traveling salesman, to take him, take her with him. They paid him. 
and to find a husband for her um, because she was going to have a a bastard child from John C. Calhoun. So that was the case. He she got he got her up to Tennessee or, or North Carolina. Met a guy. His last name was Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln is a child. And that's why the people from Abbeville back then knew this deed and was not going to have a bastard child being president of the United of their United States. Uh, did so, I miss something? Did, uh, are, are you saying Lincoln was the bastard child of Calhoun? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's exactly right. Now, I had always heard growing up that Abraham Lincoln was a lawyer, mm-hmm. and people in Abbeville were not going to stand to have a lawyer as a president. Well, there's been lawyers, presidents, ever since <laughs> the dawn of time back then, you know, but they brought that up. Yeah. And I just, it just hit me. That was kind of strange, but this makes more sense. Being a religious sect as the, as the um, Protestant Huguenots, like the Mennonites, um, having uh, one of their people climbing the stairs of, you know, government, and he was running for, you know, Congress. Well, he couldn't run for Congress. They wouldn't have like, to put him in, in office being a, having a, a bastard child mm-hmm. back then. So that would have ruined his whole political career. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think what happened with these succession papers, um, all of that wasn't in there, but the intentions were were in there. And I think they took it to Columbia, presented it, and I think when they presented it to the legislative branches and voted on it, they voted on a different document. Have you ever heard of that happening? Oh, yeah. It was all about slavery. Okay. The document contained about everything about slavery. Which document are you referring to? The, The... the succession papers. This okay. is from the nation. South Carolina succession papers. And they were they were there to preserve um preserve uh, slavery. That's what they had stated in the papers that were presented to the legislative branches or after it was presented to the legislative branches they changed it to having slavery all in in the document. Okay. Are you saying the original intent though was just to um, assert the sovereignty of the individual states, uh, but it was it was maliciously, deceptively uh, altered right. to altered, focus on right. the slavery issue. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. I, okay that sounds right. That yeah. sounds like what That's the right. agents I'm, of the I'm empire would do. Comprehending from all the all the jests that I have heard, because see, we didn't. The Huguenots didn't own slaves. They might have had. Uh, uh, Negro people living with them on the land, and then they ate just like the other Huguenots did. We wasn't rich people, <laughs> you know. We had we were like the Mennonites, <clears throat> you know. They came to our church too, you know. 
<clears throat> but anyway, it's um and and in that town, uh, the black uh, neighborhood was right there in the backyard of the white neighborhood. We were backyard to backyard, you know, mm-hmm. and they lived on the main street, main thoroughway, as we lived on the, you know, secondary road too, you know. Uh, that's just the way it was in Nashville, small town mentality. You know, everybody knew everybody. <clears throat> right. Always have the most interesting stories, Bruce. Historical stories. <laughs> Come on. No, you do. You know, I lived in, um, we called it Proud Stroud, Oklahoma, in um, 1970, uh, approximately 1975. Mm-hmm. And Proud Stroud was a oil town with beautiful mansions and, of course, normal homes. Mm-hmm. However, um, and this was in the 70s, kids, mm-hmm. the the uh, people of color, the blacks, that had worked for the wealthy oil people in mm-hmm. these big, big mansions, oil mansions, you know, like four stories tall, three and four stories, they weren't considered slaves. We're talking the 70s. Right. And, and they... Generationally, okay, they were the children of whoever lived in that mansion or that family mansion a mm-hmm. hundred years before. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, there was no racial strife. Stroud mm-hmm. was, um, and the reason we were there uh, was because my husband was uh, transferred there on um, St. Louis San Francisco Railway, Frisco Railway. There was no racial strife, none, Mm -hmm. zero. Are you hearing me, kids? None. The blacks did not think, they didn't think they were any different than we were because Mm -hmm. they weren't. And they proudly lived with the families that they had been been with, you know, forever. Right, yeah. They were in... It was beautiful. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. Everybody had manners. Uh, <laughs> you know, we weren't cranky Respect. with one another. Yeah, we're we, respectful. Yeah, well, when right. we integrated in the 70s, we had no problem integrating. We knew each other growing up and playing ball with each other, playing in the woods with each other. We knew each other. We knew it, we knew what was going to happen before it happened because everybody knew about it. Mm-hmm. In that time, we didn't date, we didn't need cell phones or the news telling us what was going to happen. You know, it was just right. You know, it's just just living with your neighbor. Yeah, right. Well, in fact, uh, Abbeville had um, a black college, um, and they and they had um, the professors living on one street, um, a magazine street was. Um, called because they had the magazine, uh, the arsenal there, you know. And General McGowan, who fought under Lee, um, was on that was on that street, and they had um, Secession Hill and Secession Street, and all the uh, these were cultured black people, families. They all lived on Secession Street. You got me? Wow. That's where yeah. they. That's where that I know. That's where they made the presentment to the public on the declaration to succeed from the nation was Succession Hill, and the street that runs up that hill is called Succession Street in town, 
in the ceiling. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <clears throat> I threw papers to all those houses when I was younger, when they were growing up. Five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so a different picture than what you're going to get. Huh? Isn't that isn't that a different picture than what you're going to get in some of the history books and from some of the people? Well, that's what they I mean, want to do. They want to destroy the image of the American people, the generosity mm-hmm. of the American people. We're not haters. <laughs> you know, that's uh. And well, another thing, too. See, that's the thing. Um, in Abbeville, uh, we let the blacks be do their own thing. They we had we built their own. You know, they come to our church, but they we built their they built their own church. You know, that's what they wanted. And um, so that you know that's what we we did. They had their own little restaurants. We went to their restaurants too because it was good food. They they liked our food too. They mm-hmm. came to our restaurant. You know. So that's when I was that's in the uh, 50s and 60s and 70s, you know, when everybody else was laughing in the streets. We were all laughing at them. You know, this is ridiculous. <clears throat> hey, Bruce. Uh-huh. Um, in in terms of what what type of policy should be embraced by people trying to build a, a good, righteous revolution in the way the United States is governed. Um, would you like to see um, uh, the the federal government presently on the Roman Empire model dismantled and perhaps allow the states to go back to something similar to what was advocated by the South in the, so, so the, the war between the states there? Um, well, their agenda was to preserve and promote slavery, which was actually the Jewish mentality. Um, that's what happened um, to the South was they were, um, were were trying to preserve the um, rich man's, um, you know, bounty. That's what it turned into, which it wasn't supposed to be that way where it came from us. You know, that's the point I'm, I was making. No, the South had been turned like the rest of the government has been turned into a commercial entity because they were trying to preserve, their agenda was to preserve slavery. You see, that's what was going on. But, but, but the people... Um, we're trying to preserve um, the actual organic parts of the Constitution that the people were. But the leaders were by, just like the regular government we got now. Um, they were all under a Jewish uh, money system, you know, and they got the money pulled out just like Napoleon did. <clears throat> Same thing. I'm glad you're focusing on that issue. Um, did you notice the fiat money out from under them? Right. Did you notice Hartford was um, talking in yeah. terms of respect about the Jewish money commercial money system? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got That's a little probably. bit of a problem with with Hartford's yeah. views on all of that. Yes, I, I had. Well, that's why I was wanting to ask him about you know the Norhad law. 
uh, on that commercial um, venture he was talking about. You know, that was um, very interesting. Never heard of it before. He was talking, and he's talking about secrets in the system. Mm-hmm. You know, that was one of his uh, plugs that this uh, process uh, nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. Hang on one second. Sure. I see Guest 15 is talking about how the Jews are the children of hell. Um, uh, in the chat window. Um, and uh, there is no doubt that the Jewish economic system that is controlled by evil Jews, so-called Jews, um, uh is is evil. Um, it, it 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 turns into crony capitalism that that is is designed to promote class warfare with only the people that know about how the commercial laws work um, being able to access the economic resources that is generated through that artificial unnatural system of commercial law. Um, but I dare okay. say that, that um, the um, uh, we can use Hartford's insights about how commercial law works, and 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 at the same time we can re- reach out to what I believe likely there are honorable members of the Jewish community. I think. Um, uh, if you look at, at, at the current situation in so-called Palestine, uh, you'll see that there are Jews against Zionism that are standing up and speaking out courageously against the the Roman Empire model of the Israelite state. Um, and so I believe there are people uh, um, that, that uh, profess to be Jews along the traditional lines of the Pharisees that, that are actually honorable people. And I like to think that Hartford is harmonious with those kind of people and that they're under, that that, that we can build some common ground amongst the honorable people there. Um, Yeah, Bruce, did you have more there? Oh, no, I just um, got distracted by the guy trying to help with the wheelchair. I thought it was yelling for me. Okay. I was okay, but uh, trying to remember what we were talking about about the Jews, uh, the Jewish laws, the um, Norad law. Yeah. Um, what he was talking about. But it was intriguing talking about the secret. Nobody knows about the process or the that uh, process he was talking. I, to, I need to re-listen to the um, call to find out exactly what he was talking about. Oh, yeah, he he covered a lot of details there that oh, went over okay. my head too. Um, um, yeah, it's Mo here. Go ahead, Ma. Uh, well, excuse me. What he was talking about was commercial law. Let yeah. me read something. The Torah and the Talmud encourages lending money without interest. But the Halakha, yeah, Halakha 
Jewish law that prescribes interest-free loans applies only to loans made to other Jews. Right. And see, we're Goyer. Goyer. We're capital to them. And that's what they're doing to us now. We're capital. I guess I didn't comprehend your point there, Bruce. Well, you thought of capitalism? Capitalism, sure. Okay. Well, uh-huh. They count the heads of cattle, the Goyim. We're called the Goyim in the Jewish Bible. Because we're not Jewish. So we're Goyim, we're cattle to them, we're capital to them. And that's what they're doing with us. We all got social security numbers, we got birth certificate and numbers. If you need help, hang up and then. I guess I need help. <laughs> no, somebody had a line open and they were multitasking or something. But have you seen the article by Judith Shapiro about how uh, uh, Jewish Talmudic commercial law came into England with the Norman Conquest of 1066 A.D.? Uh, no, I haven't seen that yet. Okay, well, uh, um, uh, Hartford has has um, put that in his repository of files, and I can post a web link for it here uh, in the chat window. Um, 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 but uh, the, the, the basic point was that with the Norman Conquest of 1066 A.D., um, uh, the Roman Catholics financed that Roman conquest, uh, Norman Conquest and um, um, uh, also provided mercenary soldiers to assist William the Conqueror in, in completing it. And, um, and immediately after uh, uh, the, the, the military confrontation was... was um, completed and, and control was gained by William the Conqueror and his Roman Catholic cohorts, they brought in the, the Pharisaical Jews uh, with their system of commercial law. And um, um, that system of commercial law, Ms. Shapiro, uh, in her Georgetown Law University article, uh, uses phrases like, the commercial law ripped at the fabric of uh, the um, previously existing common law people of, of England. There, right. And so well, it was it was it was foreign law to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, it came in with the the, the conqueror with his Roman Catholic laws and civil municipal laws and and Jewish mortgage death mortuary mortgage uh, laws, uh, where um, um, at that point people no longer had their roots in the land because right. the, the, the 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 mortgage banker could could. Right. Um, uh, uh, kick anybody off the land for not paying the mortgage. Yep, that's what they do here today. Uh, but where they came from, 
was from, and this is where they become uh, the Israelite system, is the, the Edomites were the administrators of the Roman country. They were the scribes, they were the judges, they were the tax collectors, they were the administrators of the government. And Caesar was having problems with uh, the tribe of Judah, house of Judah. And so he went to the king of the Edomites and said, I'm having trouble with the house of Judah and I, I just don't have enough time to handle them. Can you do something with them, please? So that's what happened. And they adopted the traditions of the house of Judah in time. And that's they're the Edomites. That's what started, and then the Khazars came in, yeah, and later on, you know. But the Edomites are, were the that's why you see them in administrative lawyers, you know, and government banking, you know, and that's where they come up with their law. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, how, and I, the it, House of Judah is the who they handle, and they they picked up. They, see, the house of Judah, they would not marry outside of the house of Judah. And what did the Jews do? You know, they, they, they have, um, well, the real Jews, they don't marry outside of the Jewish faith, you know. This, they picked up the traditions of, they infiltrated like they do everywhere else. They infiltrated and took over the house of Judah. Basically. And that's why they get, think they got a right to Israel. Or, you know, they the chosen few. That's where they get it from. <clears throat> yeah, I, I see Mo pulled up a copy of that Jewish Shitar argue, uh, law journal argue, uh, document. Uh huh. Um, I haven't checked out the link yet, but I presume that's the same one that I was referring to. Um. And and, um, and and the see we've got three significant factions uh, on on the chessboard with subdivisions there under I dare suggest but but we've got the Roman Catholics as one faction we've got these these uh, these so-called Jews that are following that are the source of this commercial uh, uh, monetary system that is they're <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, and aren't those Edomites, aren't they directly related to the Ashkenazi Khazars? No, they they were picked, were, they were picked by the Khazars instead of the Christians or the uh, Islams in a war, and the, I forgot what happened in that war, they lost the war, and they had to decide what they were going to do as far as they would follow some one or other religion, and they didn't choose that. They choose the Jewish religion or the Edomite religion. Yeah, was was that was that the Edomites that choose this so-called Jewish religion? No, they were they were the Edomites that adopted all the traits of the House of Judah. So they call themselves the Jews, a Jewish religion, instead of the 
house of Judah. That's what they've got. They bastardized the name, basically, and picked and used their traits. Is what they did. The Edomites did. Okay, you're That's saying it. basically the Edomites took over the entire tribe of Judah. Yes, they infiltrated the house of Judah and brought their they, they copied their customs and whatever. But they still do administrative all the administration stuff. They don't know how to grow anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what you get. I mean, they they were working as administrators in the Roman Empire. Yeah, well, that, that linkage between the Ashkenazis, the Edomites, and the Roman Empire, um, right. uh, somewhere between those three or four factions there, is is the center of gravity, which is the source of the evil that oppresses everything on this earth. Um, um, and I'm not sure precisely where the focal point is. Um, I do believe it's getting racial uh, between um, um, the, the Ashkenazis and the Edomites. Apparently, um, you've been... Uh, you see a difference between the Edomites and the Ashkenazis. Is that correct? Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, they all have adopted each other's uh, traits. Right, right. Words, that's that, that that's that's an ideological decision-making process. I'm more interested in the bloodline. Yeah, they all in, they have become Jews, so they're married within the same group. Is what I'm saying. So they now are basically Edomites from their origin but they have called themselves Jews to mimic the house of Judah because they've had taken their customs, the house of Judah's customs. Okay, where's the Ashkenazi fit in there? They fit in there because because they they lost a war and they had to choose between the Protestant religion or or, the Roman Catholic religion or the Islam religion. And they chose the Jewish religion. That's where they came in. They didn't choose Protestant or Catholic or, you know, or Islam. They chose the Jewish religion, as the Kanazi people tried. Well, it wasn't the Edomites embraced Judaism more early than than the Ashkenazis then? Oh, yes. Yeah, they were I'm trying to put it together in my mind here. Yeah, they were the initiators of trying to uh, uh, handle the House of Judah because they were basically in war with the Okay, well, it sounds Empire. like we, we've, we've got two different races that progressively uh, uh, usurp the authority, the, 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 uh, a the title that's related to Semitic Israel that neither one of them uh, has any really bloodline linkages. Right. Exactly. To Israel, is that correct? Yes, that's right. Okay. That's exactly oh. right. Okay, but but the Ashkenazis and the Edomites are two different factions right. there that came in at right. differing times, and right. and the Edomites came in earlier than the Ashkenazis. Is that correct? Yeah, they're the ones that actually formed the Jew Jewish religion. Yes, they're the ones that formed it. The Ashkenazis picked it up and demonized it to a, another dimension. Okay, well, I think, I, I think there were people in, in our own Semitic race that did turncoat. Um, 
um, and and they provided some color of a foundation for the Edomites and or Ashkenazis when they came in. Uh huh. Does that sound yeah. right? Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so because to this very day there are Pharisaical rabbinical Jews that right. that, that seemingly plausibly claim a uh, uh, a, a Semitic uh, true Israelite blood lineage. Isn't that right? Yeah, but they're not. They can what? claim all they want to, but they're not. They don't have. They have no Semitic genealogy gene, uh, gene pool. They're not, and that has been taken from a guy from Israel that was a Jew. He was a scientist, and he did the DNA testing. And he had none of them were Semitic, <laughs> not a one of them. Really? Yeah. So, so people that fought, modernly follow the Pharisaical religion are, um, uh, uh, if they claim to be Semitic Jews, Sephardic Jews, they're lying. That's right. Whoa, that's a big one. Yeah. Yep. Okay, okay. I see 15 or 20 back here. Big guess in the chat window. One <clears throat> of them's probably Dark Knight uh, saying, I told you so, Charles. I told you so. Well, <laughs> okay. Um, they, they've uh, already done, They, they uh, I think they banned the guy. Uh, that did the testing, wrote the book and the analysis of what he found, and he published the paperwork, and they have banned him from ever mentioning stuff like that again. I don't know if he's still alive or what, but he was a scientist, and he did genetic testing on, I think, thousands of Jews, you know, and they, he didn't find a one that had any trait of somatic gene, uh, genes. Hmm. Well, that's a real valuable point. If that's right. you, you might be able to keep your eyes open for any kind of documentation that might support that bold proposition. Oh. No, that would be real handy to have around. It's published. I haven't got a copy of it, but if you look it up online. All right, all right. Well, maybe you can yep. point a web link to me or something, because when I get in debates... Um, uh, I, I, I like to pull out the, the metaphorical machine guns and start blasting away <laughs> with good authoritative documents that can approve these important points. Have you ever heard of Pastor Eli Manning? I believe so, Eli. Okay. Yeah. yeah hasn't he run talk show conferences before? Oh, he has a radio program every uh, Saturday morning. Yeah, I believe I'm on good terms with Eli. So he, he can tell you exactly who the scientist was uh, in, in uh, Jewish Israel that did the DNA testing, brought it forth in front of their Congress or whatever, and, and told them there's not a Semitic Jew in this land. And they mm -hmm. had their way with him, I think. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but Eli James has brought that up. That's where I heard it. Mm -hmm. From Eli Pastor Eli James. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the biblical verses Revelation two nine and three nine? I don't know those verses. But that's a passage that talks about those who say they are Jews but are not, oh, yeah. but are a synagogue right. of Satan. Right. Well, see, that's the that's the whole point. 
mindset. Yeah, well, at I that guess. point, couldn't we claim to be Jews? <laughs> um, no, we can't. Why? Because we are part of the Israelites. <laughs> well, They're not. I can't help but think that might be advantageous to us to to be able to claim that position and uh, in order to dislodge the um, present monopoly of power that... Uh, oh, no. It's, it's basically telling the truth that people will not believe. It's like the law. Well, we're, we're, we're in an intellectual and spiritual war here. Yes. Okay, right. well, it, it, we need to take advantage of the tools that are available us so that so that we can route these forked tongue deceivers that are pretending to be Israelites. Right. Well, they do it themselves. Well, <laughs> not efficiently enough. They're still in well, power, and we need to get what more traction. What happens is they, huh? they, they basically uh, think they got a good thing going, and it, it backfires on them all the time. Well, they ran out of every enough, country. You're still in control. Oh, they have been ran out of every country they have been in. I know, but now they're back in every country and in control now. Well, not necessarily. They eat their own, let me tell you. I know they eat their own, but okay. we got to kick them out. <laughs> yeah, we do, but that's what I'm saying. It's coming. Well, it's not coming fast enough. We're God's people. <laughs> we need to bring it about. Yeah. It's coming. All uh, right. People, people are waking up. <laughs> They're waking up. Oh well, it, 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 um, if we can agree on common agendas, I think we can make more progress here. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking for tools for from people that are willing to stand up and and be on the front lines and and risk their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor in confrontation of this evil that oppresses us. That's what I've been doing half my life. All right. Well, it's important to prayerfully reconsider our position all the time, because if we just maybe adjust our viewpoints on some things, just a, a few percentage points, uh, uh, maybe all of a sudden we'll click the combination lock right to where we can open up all kinds of resources to kick the snot out of these agents of evil. Yep. That's what I've been working on for, what, 20 years now? Well, I do suggest... I, I, I'd respectfully ask that you consider prayerfully maybe we should uh, uh, start talking about ourselves as being the real Jews and, and, and those other ones as being the fake Jews. I don't, I don't want to label myself as a Jew. All right. Well, <laughs> I, will not, I, I will not do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, well, I can. You know what it's going to do to their camp. The first thing they're going to say is, no, 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 you're not Jews. <laughs> Well, of course not. He not. We follow the Exodus 18 Torah law model of, mm -hmm. of uh, uh, townships, precincts, and counties, uh, um, and you guys don't. Well, you heard me say that my lineage was the Huguenots. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's what I will claim to be, and I am. I'm an artist. Well, that's basically I, a I subdivision their, of their all artistic, uh, Yes. And uh, we were the artists. We were artists, and that's what I am. My two children are both artists, so it's genetically passed on.
All right, well, I'm just a simple working-class white man, potato farmer from the Celtic nations. Of no, you're not, you're not a simple white man. You are a bean, man. you you're, you got a lot of power. <clears throat> you grow things. You create life. Charles, you may things. I interrupt? You give it. Yeah. Yeah, Allie? Yes, I, I just want to thank you for a very, very interesting call this evening. And sometimes it's best just to listen than it is to talk, and especially when you're reco- uh, recovering from having a front tooth removed at 4 o'clock. Today. I was wondering oh, how wow. you So uh, I'm going to bid farewell for now and uh, continue well, we with my healing pain. here. We shared the pain you giving it to us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Novocaine's run off, and uh, yeah, I'm almost ready to take the gauze off. I think that the uh, the clot is now formed. So, anyway, thank you for a very, very interesting call and conversations, and uh, I cer- certainly appreciate uh, all of you that uh, showed up for this call this evening, and thank you for hosting it. I also have a problem, though, because... TalkShoe informed me that they do not support Linux, so I'm not able to get onto the board. Well, I'm I'm running Linux, and I'm on the board. I'm running the whole conference through through the board here. Oh, well, then maybe I should talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, that'd be good. Okay. So, good night for now. All right, good yeah, night. Take sister. care and have a good night. I hope you feel better. Oh, oh I'm, I'm feeling good, but, uh, you know, it's uh, got to take care of that mouth-body connection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good night. Good night. All right. So I guess we're running people off now. Well, well, it's winding down. It's getting a little bit late, especially for you people that are farther east here. Um, well, I got jacked up. I don't think I'm going to sleep tonight. <laughs> well, I'm good. We can talk to you usually automatically shuts down at the five-hour mark. But I oh, think yeah. we've got at least another hour or so here, probably. What time is um It's uh, one twelve here. So yeah. It's the first. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we have a full moon today. Wow. Yep. <clears throat> um. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hang on. I got it. All right. Hang on. I got to leave the call right now. Just hang on there. Yeah, Money Mike, you there? And Mo, you're muted. I think we can unmute you, Mo. Okay. Yeah, you're unmuted. Okay, Mo here. Was I making noise? No, no. Uh, he, but we're down to just a few callers, and I thought it was to the point where even if you are making noise, it's not going to disturb that many of us. <laughs> I think Rocco... That Rocco, did you dial back in? Yeah, I don't think he's dialed in through okay. talk Um if you see it at all, it'd be through you, Mo. Well, he's on the board. Um, he said he lost connection, and 
Uh, he, he he was in the board. He just said no. I answered your question that he's okay. not dialed in. I think. Hold on. Yeah, do I, I see need him to, in that window. Do I need to dial you in, Rocco? Well, you probably heard your comments. You might answer here in the chat window. Okay. Rocco said he's listening. Uh, and it sounds like he's also got a friend there, and he's kind of multitasking between oh, us and his friend, apparently. Double duty here, he says. Uh, you see the chat window? Mm, let me pull it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like Bruce is pretty pumped. How's your batteries holding out here, sister? Oh, mine's fine. Uh, I've got a landline. I don't have any batteries. Oh, well, I meant your spiritual energy level. Oh, oh, I well, I usually stay up till about this time. I just am not quite as chatty, um, you know, when I get tired. I just kind of get quiet and uh, like to listen to other other people talking. That's good. We can do that. I, I imagine Bruce and I can chit-chat for quite a while. And sometimes Money Mike, he's plugged into the phone calls, too, here. He's mm -hmm. a talk show political activist also. Um, yeah. Maybe he'll chime That's in with us a little bit. But there, there was a number of things that Hartford raised that um, I was hoping to at least go over with you and um, Bruce. Uh, mm -hmm. That that uh, I, I have to bite my tongue sometimes because I think Hartford's making some errors on a number of important points. Okay. What points were you referring to as far as? Um well, his reverence for Jewish commercial law over Protestant common law. Um, right. I've got a real problem with that. Um, although I admit, to throw him a bone, that, that the general commercial... See, he... And I was hoping to work this in. Um, um, the, you notice he made a difference between uh, traditional... Uh, cultural Jewish commercial law yes. in the Uniform Commercial Code? Mm -hmm. yes. 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 Okay, that's an important point. It is. Yes. Oh, well, because because Roman civil municipal law has has come in and um, um, in some ways increased the efficiency of basic commercial law, but in other ma uh, areas it makes it more... Um, um, Problematic. Um, uh, there, there's more back doors and 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 and, and tricky little junctures where the the lawyers of the evil Roman Empire um, uh, can take advantage. Whereas Hartford's more organic commercial process is all straightforward and simple, and um, there, there's none of those tricky little things like you didn't cite the right statute or something mm -hmm. uh, to to get your remedy. Uh, yeah. Well, if you remember me saying that the Edomites were the administrators and the and the lawyers and the 
judges and handled all of the secretarial, did the scribe work for the Romans. Mm-hmm. You got me? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that plugs into that Norman Conquest thing with the Jewish Shitar thing that right. um, um, Mo linked here. That um, uh, uh, when 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 the, the the Roman Catholic Church, aka Roman Empire, came in and conquered England in AD sixty six, the Norman Conquest, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the 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 these these Edomite Pharisee Jews were were on their shirt tails, coming right along with them in order to commercially lock down the whole freedom-loving common law people of England. Right. They, that was the, that's what they did. They, they were the administrators of the Catholic Church, evidently. Mm-hmm. The working hand-in-glove with, with the slave traders from the Roman Empire. Right. That's what they did in the Civil War. They came and worked both sides of the Civil War to conquer the common law or the common people here. You know, mm-hmm. That's what they did. Yeah, yeah, and they know they're capitulating to the evil Roman Empire. See, if you go back to the so-called Jewish Revolution of AD sixty-six, they are the Roman evil empire. Well, I'm not. Who has that plug into the Roman Catholic Church? They were the administrators of the courts of the money system, everything that the Romans were working under, like our government is. Well, um, are you saying that the Roman Empire is basically a mechanism of Edomite, Ashkenazi Judaism? Right. Okay, well, that would Didn't really it, Isn't that be... what it implements here? Same thing? Well, well, it, it sounds similar, but... Um, I'm missing a couple pieces in my mental picture of how it all fits together. Well, who's administrator? Who's running the banks? Who's running the TV sets? Who's running right, right, the right. government? Who's, but but who's you the start lawyers? looking at those who Jesuits. You, you start looking at these Jesuits that control the the the, the military industrial complex. And, and the CIA desk and, and influence in Adolf Hitler's Germany, um, um, those Jesuits uh, mm-hmm. are, are seriously problematic in a lot of ways. I don't believe those were Edomite Ashkenazi Jews. I bet they were. Well, I think there is maybe 50% crossover there, that, that maybe 50% of them were Edomite Jews or something. That's what they do. They info, They take up people, uh, they change their names, they take up other people's customs. You know, yeah, I know, they're, they're deceivers, they're chameleons. Right, they, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Well. And who would write a document like the Jesuits have? Yeah, I've seen that that Jesuit oath thing about the poison pill and yeah, yeah. Mo here. Yeah, Mo. One of the most interesting things that I have found in my research is that even the formation of our country uh, was strongly influenced by the Jesuits. Whether Mm -hmm. anybody likes to hear that. Or not. That's what I yeah. found to be true. And they also they will they were spies 
mostly. They were military. They were, and if they needed to say that they were a Jew or a Christian Whatever. or fill in the blank, that is what they they would infiltrate. And they would they would, they would lie. They would act. They would actually go on opposite sides and compete against themselves. Yeah, in good cop, bad cop, Christine. Good point. Huh? Good point. Yeah, yeah. But if, if that's we what, look that's at what Jews do. If yeah, we well, that's the polarity between the Hillary Clinton Democrats and the George Bush Republicans. Absolutely, absolutely. If we look at history, and what I researched, one of the things that I researched is when um, the Jesuits came in and they formed their whatever they call their thing that they form. Um, but like in Indiana was one state that I looked at. They had come in to Indiana and formed their seat of power uh, 100 and some odd years before Indiana was even formed, okay? Oh, yeah. What, what do they call that, that they come in? I'm getting tired here. They come in and, okay, they bring in their corporation soul, okay? Yeah. And whoever sits in the seat of that corporation soul is the priest. But that corporation soul is their, you know, to hold land and um possessions and that it was their goal to conquest and they could and print their own money that is currency. correct correct but if they needed to say that they were a Jew or a Protestant or you know Mickey Mouse that's what or they said Israelite. they were or an Israelite <laughs> yeah <clears throat> because they or have an Indian. <laughs> or an Indian right native Indian I call them engines. <laughs> just, just think about they were going to India and they discovered the Indians here. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that same thing, that the word Indian is really a misnomer serious. Because, exactly. Yeah, they were yeah. nations. They were nations, each and every one of them. And they didn't have a dang thing to do with India. Right. Um, it's they not really Americans. You know, they're the, not the, Americans. They were Chickawa, whatever Cherokee, whatever. Right. Crow, you name it. And Charles, what's the board there? You know, the thing about it is, this isn't a, you know, like he said, she said, I win, you lose, type right. conversation here. Uh, right. In in watching the board, it's it's not that at all. Uh, or the chat board. Uh, however, it's just, it, you know, it's exposing truth. Huh. As we, you know, as we've learned it. And I happen right. to agree, whoever coined the phrase, everything you've been taught, you've been lied to. Exactly. And that's a that's, fact. That's the truth, Mel. You told me the truth, and I don't know how to handle it now. <laughs> right. So don't take it out on... You know, all you guests that are writing things that you're writing in all caps, which isn't necessary in in my thoughts, it, it you know, it weren't <laughs> if you're offended, it's you know, you're offended. But you know, it has nothing to do with me and it has nothing to do with anything anybody else on this call. Uh, in, in my thoughts. But uh, 
I, I get to rambling when I get tired. So, uh, but I do know what is right. I do know what is right, and I'm not talking on the right. I'm I'm talking. I know what is true. I know what is just. I know what is honorable. I know what is kind. I know what is loving. Yeah, and giving. Yeah, and you and don't need a college education to figure it out. And we don't need what? A college education. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't a, need three letters behind my name for that. Yeah. It is a uh, a yeah. thing gift. <clears throat> uh, I'd like to jump gift. in with something there. Uh, I got disconnected for a moment. I had to call back in. But um, um, Hartford made a big deal about natural law. And, uh-huh. um, uh, the, another word for common law is lex non scripta. I don't know if any of you have heard that before, but it, it, it means lex means law, non scripta means unwritten, uh, not not inscribed. Um, mm-hmm. So common law is the unwritten law, and the reason it's called that is because it's based on principles, and it relies on co- the, the jury coming together to to collectively decide how to apply the principles to the complaint being brought before the court. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 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 whereas Roman statutory law is lex scripta, it's written law. Um mm-hmm. and and see, that means that original versions of common law um uh could function without any writings whatsoever. And I think this plugs into some of the issues that Bruce here was raising right. about um, uh, 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 forms and documents right. that were apparently in later versions of the adulterated common law of England, there were a lot of forms and writs. The whole writ system was was a, a perverted version of the common law that was relying on writings, but but the real organic traditional more ancient versions of common law did not rely on all those writings and forms that um, you're seeming to think is the main version of common law here, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's why I brought, brought it up with Hartford when he was talking about the, the Jewish law. I asked it, does it follow form because that's who wrote the common law we have today? Um was the Jews. Think about it. Uh, they follow form. They got a form they fill out for everything. You know, a contract. You know, uh, you, you, can't, you can't think of the wording they use in the contract. You can't think of that. I mean, you just don't think that way. Well, I like to use, to reserve the word common law for for the basically pure process, because there's a multitude of adulterated versions right. of common law and everything else that are bringing in this Jewish law or the Roman civil municipal law or whatever right. else you want to adulterate it with. But well, the pure well, see, version I was of... bringing I was bringing equity, um, and, and that's how he is going to judge you through equity. I don't know what gurus you've been listening to about equity. Where, where, where you derive, what, what cultural tradition you derive the these principles of equity from? 
uh, equity is labeled in the Bible. Well, in the since Rome destroyed Israel in AD 66, everything was stinking vaporized except uh, uh, the laws of the Jews, the laws of the Romans, and 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 and, and the true. Israelite Torah law that is the basis for our modern common law. Mm -hmm. At least up till the Norman conquest of 1066 AD. Does that make sense? Is that what you're saying? He's not going to judge us through equity? Well, I'm saying that that period uh, English common law prior to the Norman Conquest, there was no equity jurisdiction in there separate. It was all of the townships and the precincts and the counties were were deciding all their issues by juries at the local level, and there was no equity chancery priest in there uh, exercising any type of alternative jurisdiction. And how how early was this you're talking about? Because I'm not sure what I understand. It was the, that pure version was prior to the Norman Conquest of 1066 A.D. Okay, I don't know that. I do not know how far back equity went through. But if God's going to judge us through equity, then uh, well, the, the word equity just means equal. Okay. That's right. But, exactly. Well, okay. Well. Well. Yeah. 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 Common law is equity in that sense of the word. But when you're talking about chancery priests, you're talking about a whole different thing that quite often is not equal. Uh, you have to be an honor, just like you do in. Well, who's who's going to call the chancery priest to account if he's not in honor? If he's not in honor, he can't be a chancellor. Who says? Who's going to kick him out of his office as a chancellor? That's what we got the problem today. That's what I'm saying. Well, I, I know, but I don't hear no Why answer. Why can't we start our own? Huh? Why can't we start our own chancellery courts? Be on, in Why? If it's an unaccountable mechanism, pure common law jurisdiction has full accountability right there. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, get, get, let's get the common law. Uh, courts going then. Okay, well, thank you, and I don't mean to hammer on you like that, but, but no, that's, in that's modern but American you still case, got to go through, you still got to go through a judge. Well, that would be the judicial officers of the hundred court at the precinct level would be the the the, the first manifestation of the judicial office. But um, uh, there was another point there that um, the the modern. See, prior up until the 1930s or the 1940s, there were there were clear different courts uh, between equity jurisdiction and the common law jurisdiction. You remember that? You you familiar with the case law of Beacon Theaters versus Westover or Erie Railroad? You there, Bruce? Anybody? Did I lose connection here? I think Bruce did drop off. I bet it was his cell phone. I know about Erie Railroad a little bit, but I can't yeah. spout off a lot. But well, that Erie Railroad case is where they merged equity and common law mm-hmm. jurisdiction. What was what was the other one? 
of Beacon so, Theaters versus Westover. That's, okay, the, that's okay. the case law that says that even though uh, equity and common law has been merged, common law is superior. And and uh, if any of the parties to a case demand common law, then equity has to back the heck off and let it follow common law due process. Cool. See, common law is supposed to be superior to equity because equity is dangerous. Equity is private uh, military empire uh, jurisdiction. You're relying on one chancery priest there that you're hoping is going to be a nice guy and treat you fair. He's got discretion. He don't have to follow any rules. Mm-hmm. That's what equity's all about, and that's where the, the 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 civil municipal jurisdiction gets to come in with their big fat ugly smiley face and say, "Hey, we're just exercising discretion here, and and you look like a slave to us, and that's how we're going." <laughs> we all look like slaves to them. Well, well. Uh. I, if we insist on our common law jurisdiction, did that gobbledygook don't catch us? Um, and it looks like seven called back in here. Let's see. Uh, 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 there we are. You there, Bruce? Bruce? Uh-huh. Ah, uh, you hear you. Yeah. You said your battery go dead? What happened? No. It just dropped. I mean. Okay. That happened to me probably 15 minutes ago. Yeah. <clears throat> you probably didn't hear my rant just uh, with uh yeah uh, about equity jurisdiction and uh um uh Erie Railroad case and Beacon Theaters versus Westover. Are you familiar with either of those cases? I'm not sure what you said there. I couldn't understand what you said. Two cases case. in, in American case law history, uh, uh talk about the so called merger of law and equity. Repeat that second word, something about something in equity. Merger of law. Merger. Yeah, are you familiar with modern civil procedure consists of a merger of the two jurisdictions of law and equity? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they they have merged everything together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Right. uh, And that, uh, that, that first happened at the federal court level through the decision of uh, uh, Erie Railroad versus Tompkins? Right. Okay. Yeah, um, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to follow up to say that um, later case law of Beacon Theaters versus Westover made it clear that if either party to a case demands due process of law, then equity jurisdiction has to vaporize and, and, and the case has to be settled by due process of common law. Mm. They're not doing common law, though. I know they're not, but that's because of the corruption that comes in through the equity jurisdiction. That's, I don't understand how you get that. Well, see, it, it, it used to be federal courts were either jurisdiction at law, pure common law, where they couldn't do any of that smoke and mirrors, or they were over there in the area of discretion, which is allowed in the equity court's jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. But it was separate. If you got your case in a common law side of the court, it had to be settled by common law, and there was no room for no smoke and mirrors. Okay. But with uh, 
uh, Erie Railroad versus Tompkins, all of a sudden equity and common law got merged, and now the judges sitting in the chancery priest position get to say, uh, I've got discretion to uh, uh, disregard your common law rights, and I'm going to treat this all as an equity case. That's today's judges, after the railroad case. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. You see, it still had the same problem. Well, we didn't have the problem when the common law courts were separate. They're not, they're not equitable judges. That's not my point. I know, I know that. But I'm just getting back to the point of you have to have an a, a honest being on that seat, no matter what it is, what kind of form you have up there. Well, when it all appears way, that's what we got. That's what we got today is crooked system altogether. Right, and it would benefit immensely if we just kicked out that equity jurisdiction where the judges have discretion to be corrupted. I've been in courtrooms where they had had court, uh, you know. Um, juries and everything, and I couldn't present any any evidence in the court, not at all. Yeah, that's because the judges got discretion to ignore all of your well pleaded arguments. That's right. Well, that um, he only has that discretion because he's got an equity clutter of authority there. Uh, no. Yeah, that's where the discretion comes in. You 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 check it. Huh? See, rules of common law don't grant discretion. What now? Excuse me? Rules of common law don't grant any discretion. Okay. Well, what do rules of equity talk about? They talk about discretion. No, they don't. You've got... got I can show you, guys. You have have the... the, uh, 21 maxims of law, organic act, um, maxims you go by. The judge can't make a decision. He can't be prejudiced over whatever is presented in that courtroom. Well, there may be some overriding philosophy about remaining in honor. You were making some good points earlier there. Um, but... As a matter of, of practicality and the, the, the well-settled tradition of, of the, 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 the case law that surrounds equity jurisdiction, they've got discretion to, to, to do whatever they think might be in their perverted view in the interests of justice. Right. After they have been presented to the case, and whoever has the unclean hands or don't have the, the well intent of coming into equity loses. Well, it, it's my point that 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 by granting discretion to that civil magistrate to ignore the rules of the common law, everything's on a slippery slope right straight into the pit of hell. Okay. But I still think equity rules over common law. Well, you, you haven't read... That is my point. Totally. You haven't read Beacon Theaters versus Westover, then, because... 
Beacon Theaters versus Westover says clear that that common law rules over equity jurisdiction. Okay. When was that case? Uh, 40s, 50s, something like that. Okay. When was the corruption of the of the courts? Well, the, the the federal courts were corrupted in their inception because they were formed under the Roman Empire civil model of government. Okay. There you go. Um, I've got web links to Beacon Theaters versus Westover case law. It, it formed uh, a lot of um, my my early studies, the foundation. Um, and and I, by the I, way, I, by the huh? way, let me ask you a, question, a simple question: How do you merge common law with equity? Well, I didn't do it. The, no, the, the Roman civil evil empire that's government. That's exactly did it. what I'm saying. You cannot well, I don't, merge the two. Huh? The two different law forms. Well, I'm inclined to agree with you, but okay. the modern reality is that they have been merged. But we can't go by this corrupt system's rulings. It's all bastardized. Well, are you saying don't go into any civil courts at all? That's what I'm saying about starting your own. Okay, okay. Hey, and, and I love about. that, starting your own. And That's that what we've point, been talking about. That's what this, I thought this call was about. Okay, okay. Perhaps I miscomprehended the thrust of your argument. I think we're 100% on the same page. Well, go into your court system you're trying to start here. And well, I want to hear what you have going on. You know? All right. And, and All right. I just brought up. Well, why don't we start our own chancery court? Because it's a separate system, completely separate. You know, it, but you don't have all of the forms and stuff you have to file with common law. Well, see, see, you miscomprehend co common law. I think I just... Well, no. Huh? <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, you talk about forms in common law, and I just explained I think, to you I about lectures. You have done, what law. you have done is the the maxims in equity have covered been accepted by common law. That's what's been going on, and they're different. That's well, the problem. If we're looking terms, at a repetition, the, the common law that you're talking about are equity terms. Pardon me. The terms you're talking about in common law, the maxims, like unclean yeah. hands, those are originally equitable, com, uh, equitable um, courts. Well, well I, I believe a lot of equity jurisdiction is concerned about contract enforcement. No, it's not. Well, what's equity concerned about then? Everything. Trust. Trust, Trust as a what? What? Uh, Equity is ruling over. Everything is under trust. Well, it kind of gets confusing there to my mind. Um, well, no, it shouldn't because uh, I trust you to be honorable. That's a trust between you and me and the rest of the people on the call. We all trust each other to give our input, you know, honestly, or how we feel, you know. And I don't feel any repercussions over what I've said uh, from you. You're stating your, your positions, and I think that's great, you know? All right. Um, 
You understand what I'm saying? It, it, it takes a bit of work to try to build a consensus between people that are coming at the same problem from different angles. And sure. I appreciate it, and I, I, I'm inclined to believe I, that you're all, all, all that is remedy. You know, not confusion, just remedy, like we all do here. Okay, well, and 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 justice. We just yeah. want just and and see, common law is really only about breach of the peace. If nobody's if you're not claiming that somebody breached the peace, then you you fail to state a claim in common law jurisdiction. Okay, Mo here. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, one of the things that I really was able to wrap my head around when I read the maxims of equity, just like what you said. Okay, equity, here's one of the maxims. Equity will not suffer a wrong to be without a remedy. There has to be a remedy. Okay? And also, no one can come in with unclean hands in equity. Right, right. And and equity follows no form. Equity does doesn't follow form. Right, you can go in and state your piece. That's right. the whole point. It's he the natural comes... law. It's this the natural organic law. Is, you, you I got can... a, I got a complaint. I need you to hear. I need to I need to report a crime. Common yeah. law jurisdiction could do the same thing. Oh, okay, well, that's where the two come into play. But okay, no. well, and? but there's well, only 21 I... maxims of e- in equity, and I don't know how many maxims there are in, in common law. Well, you know. there's over a thousand common law maxims. Um, right. But but a lot of those are dysfunctional. A lot of those came in after the Norman Conquest of 1066, and that's why the common law got excessively rigid because of the influences of the. The the civil municipal statutory laws. Hmm. Yeah, see, it became convert, perverted after the Norman Conquest of 1066. And we've been laboring that, with that up until the, the, the American Revolution of 1776, pretty much, and then for about 13 years before uh, uh, the the... Roman civil municipal government was established through the U.S. Constitution document. Um, uh, About 13 years there, we had a fairly pure common law form of society in our American nation. But then Mm -hmm. Alexander Hamilton and George Washington and other high-level Masons got together and figured out how to build a a Roman evil empire form of government for us uh, to oppress us all and confuse us all, and things went downhill from there. Right. Well, I think equity, and I get it. I I really get it. Uh, Equity comes out of England, and it is is in relation to trust law. Yep. But also, if you take the the story of Moses, Moses led his people out of, out to, lead them to the promised land, but he couldn't go into the promised land. And he never made it to the promised land because what he did, he dishonored, he got dirty hands. And he could not enter into the promised land. So he lost everything. He could not go to where he was supposed to go into the promised land. I hadn't heard that theory before. Yeah. He was, he had dirty hands. 
What was his trick? He didn't do what God told him to do, and he tried to do tricks, and he could. He wasn't supposed to do it. What was the tricks Moses tried to do? I think he was supposed to not strike a, a rock to show his power for bring water out of the out of the rock for the people, and he dishonored hmm. God's command. Well, he, he dishonor was the equitable punishment. He was not going to get into the promised land. He wasn't going to make it. Well, I, I hadn't heard that theory before, but I'm open to mm-hmm. it. I, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's what they—that's where they get. Uh, you know, that's how he is going to judge us directly. Well, he's going to judge us through principles of justice and truth and fairness. That's equity. Uh, it's also common law. Okay. And and we're, we're talking about forms of jurisdictions here, and, and in England, and in early America, the, the equity courts were in opposition to the common law courts. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you seem to be unaware of that historical conflict between common law and equity jurisdictions here. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, and if there's a conflict, it's different. It's the completely two them, different law huh? forms. Huh? Two different law forms. Yeah, 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 yeah. And one of them had jury trials, and the others relied on a single man that's essentially a benevolent dictator. Well, no, it depended on the two two people appearing in front of him. They're the ones who decided to do the fight of the other. Well. Except for the fact that if you've got a corrupted chancery priest, you're going to have to get more people involved. Yeah, he's going to have to be taken off the bench. In the case, he's going to have to be. See, that whole honorable. problem is 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 zero if you just file in the common law court instead of the equity court. They're both, they're both corrupt. <laughs> well. That that's, that's only well, common yeah. law only became corrupted because of the Roman civil statutory influence that that obstructed the juries. It's like modern juries. The judges instruct the jury on on the rules and tell them that they got to find guilty if the guy didn't have a driver's license or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you see, in, in real pure common law, the jury is is free to ask questions of the litigants and and, and yes. is there to. Um, uh, decide whether or not a breach of the peace has happened rather That's than right. whether somebody didn't comply with the statutory code. Right. See, yep. that's a very, very much more pure form of common law that should be easy to comprehend. Right. Oh, I agree with you. No, totally. All right. Well, I don't mean to raise my voice. And, um, um, <laughs> You're not I, doing that. Well, I, I, I appreciate your gracefulness there. Um, oh, and hey, I'm, trying I, I'm to trying to believe in equity. Huh? <laughs> okay, I'm trying to stay in equity. Well, you're uh, trying to we're, stay with the learning thing. We're learning here. We're not arguing okay, over. Well, you know. I, I I can't help but I my legal studies from a very early age has developed a serious hatred for that equity jurisdiction and I and for you to continuously reference that term. I, I've got to bite my tongue every time. And, and I'll try to get past it because I know, in essence, we're of the same spirit here. But um, I dare suggest you're really out of historical context in your 
your your your high regard for that equity jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm learning. You know, I'm learning. That's what. The, all right. Well, for. I I appreciate you being remaining open minded on it, and and and. In future, when when we're like working with Hartford and others, and we're trying to hammer out uh, consensus to bring together a jury to quickly and efficiently produce a document that we can throw in the federal courts to get somebody out of prison or something, mm-hmm. that would really help us to work towards consensus. If you try to refrain from dragging in all that equity jurisdiction stuff, uh huh. If you can okay. just talk in terms of justice and fairness and equal application of the law, I'm all warm and fuzzy with all that. Oh yeah, the principles. I loved it. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, it was very. Uh, that was impressive. Very impressive, because um, I get caught up in the comprehension of that. Did I did early on, but you know, not using case law. But the way he said right. it was perfect. Using uh, we access the principles of what. Right. Mm-hmm. Was the and, and the community building process with the jury. Mm-hmm. Um, the all, all the jurors can comprehend the principles, and they can d- disagree about how to apply the principles. But once mm-hmm. they they all agree on the basic principles, then then it's a real helpful, healthy, d- dynamic, spiritually energized discussion based mm-hmm. upon principles, rather than whether or not you got it, you've complied with the statute that requires a driver's license or something like that. See, that that's mm-hmm. such low-level thinking of whether or not you violated the code as opposed to whether or not you've actually caused a breach of the peace or some kind of injustice in the community. Correct. And, and I agree with you. With Hartford, oh, my goodness, you know, if he is wanting and willing to work, you know. He's willing to teach us. Right. I mean, you know, we're sitting at the feet of a master here. That would be awesome. You know, I'm certainly open to learning, and I know Bruce is. And see, you know, Bruce and I and and some other people, see, we're not combative and argumentative and, um, you know, do the name-calling and, you know the judgmentalness that I, you know, you see so much on the board, uh, and and people coming in and jumping out from the dark, you know, <laughs> and you have to block them, um, you know, because I'll I'll I'll, I'll stand quiet before that happens, and yeah. you know you're not going to get that with the crowd that I invite in, uh, you're just not going to get it. Um, well, another thing too, I'm an artist. I, I use everything yeah. I can use to create what I need to create or try to get across to wh- whatever I'm trying to entice the viewer to intrigue his mind. I'm a conceptual artist, and that provokes mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. different possibilities to the viewer or make his own way with what I did. Uh, I give him that freedom to do that um, when I do some artwork or try to... Pre- present something in a way as an open mind to open one's mind is what I try to do same thing mm-hmm. here yeah, yeah. have you heard the phrase words of art what did you say have, have you heard the phrase words of art mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's uh, that's uh, Jewish terms <laughs> well I don't know I don't really. use those words <clears throat> Well, I don't know if we should 
I think the phrase words of art is 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 a nice phrase. Okay. I don't know where you draw your um 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 uh historical reference that that particular phrase changing came the, Jews. That is what I call changing the meaning of a word to another meaning. Well, just because some people use that phrase words of art to change the meaning of words does not mean that th that is the narrow parameters to, to which the phrase can be applied. I like to think that 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 we can combine words in different manners to paint a totally new picture that is righteous and true and just um um and artistic but but it's there's no deception therein. Um, what the word used to mean, like to or is, it doesn't mean the same thing now in in uh, lawyers' terms. But well, you're talking about the terms of the devil. Our, oh, our conversation here is. I, I learned the words of art were that that terminology. Well, I dare suggest there's you you could. You could broaden out the definition of the phrase "words of art" to include something more positive. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, especially you're an artist, for God's sake. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, you shouldn't be inherently opposed to the phrase "words of art." Well, I've just learned that that term in law was the changing every twenty years of uh, terms of certain words in law. Well. I hear you, but um, <laughs> that's what I mean. I I yeah, haven't you tried said to... that. Uh, shouldn't it also be terms of art instead of words of art, or no? I think the phrases are pretty much interchangeable. There, Mike. Okay. Terms or words? Aren't they? Yeah. Uh, as far as laying down a concept with words, um, you know, uh, I try to do that. That's what you call it in terms of art. <laughs> words of art. Oh boy, Charles! No wonder you've been on point. <laughs> I, I, you know, I. Now I can re I remember how it was. You you have to be on point at all times. Well, <laughs> is there Charles? Thank you, Bill. Um, yes. In older times, courtrooms, older older common law England prior to the Norman Conquest, courtrooms were forums for uh, nonviolent settling of of, of mm -hmm. violent conflicts. Okay, people checked their arms at the door, and they came in, and they tried to reason about who owned what property and and mm -hmm. what was fair before God. Mm -hmm. and, and and on your way out, you picked up your arms and you went your way in peace because we were 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 serious about keeping the peace amongst our different community members here. And this is why words are so important because we left our arms at the door. We checked our mm -hmm. arms at the door. We're in here to, to, to bring forth God's holy truth and justice. 
Mm-hmm. And this is why the words are important. Oh, yeah, words are important. I agree. Even within, you know, people living on different places on Turtle Island, you know, we do talk differently. We really do. You know, um, and I agree. Words are important. Sometimes it does take a while to adjust, if you will. You know, uh, like I say, hey, you know, and I don't mean hay in the field or a bale of hay, you know. And so, yeah, but it, it takes a while to get to know each other and, you know, the words that we say and, and, and the intent behind the words. Absolutely. Yeah, when I come on to a site, on the chat, uh, come in and I'll say, hey, hey, yeah. H-E-A-Y and H-A-Y. Uh-huh. And put a smiley face behind it. That's what words of art. That's what what I do when I come on to a chat room. It's best to speak. Right, right. I used to correct young people, and I would actually say, you know what, is that hay for horses or hay hello or, uh, you know, just having fun. Right. Well, there's 203 here. Uh, Looks like we've got another caller. Let me unmute him. Central Minnesota. I was going to say, what side of the world is he on? Minnesota? Yes, this is... I'm right here. You got a handle? It's Rocco. Oh no no I'm not no not in the chat just just calling your call I, I hadn't called your call for like like eight months but I I liked the one call I called about eight months ago. All right I I don't remember your handle or name sir. Um well if I went on to uh, the chat room it would be Mar Hopke. Okay. Well, I don't see anybody Mark Hopke in our chat window right yeah. now. Um, but uh, do you have uh, comments or questions about the current conversation here? No, I just jumped in, so I was just trying to, if maybe you want to refresh or just keep going along. Well, we was kind of talking about equity and common law jurisdiction and technical differences between them and how to keep the peace and try to promote more honorable government, a few little things like that. Well, I know what common law is, but could you refresh me on what equity is? Is that like assets or monetary value? Well, I'm a bit confused about equity too, but um, maybe uh, Bruce here from South Carolina can go ahead. He's more of a supporter of equity than I am, and I'll, I'll let him take the mantle to try to explain that in its best light here, Bruce. What'd you say again now about, uh, I can explain it, but I did not get the last part you were talking about. Well, well just explain equity in its best light. Yeah, okay. Uh, basically, in simple terms, equity is uh, under rule under 21 maxims of law, and it's a chancery court, and 
trust law is is what uh, equity is um, adheres to. All trusts are heard in equity, not common law. So, in other words, um, me and you can have a trust right now. I trust you to speak the truth on this call. And um, if you don't speak the truth, then I can take you in equity court and we can talk about our trust and how I had um, favored you into uh, speaking the truth on the call, but you didn't. So um, I'm, I'm asking, I'm trying to um, persuade you in the court to, uh, all I'm asking is you to speak the truth. It sounds like the term equity is very plasticitable for economists, a, a politician, or uh, uh, someone in the government. It's very, uh, it has a lot of plasticity. Um, what is, pla- Mo here, what is plasticity? <laughs> First <laughs> Define that. It's a plastic, it, at length. It's like, it's like the, sli- uh, the uh, silly putty played with when you were a kid. No, I thought the other guy gave the word out. He did. His intent. I'm just just making a colorful interpretation. Yeah, I I could play with that. It's it's like it's moldable. You can feel it in your fingers, and it's kind of personal, and like only you know it, and it's changeable. So plasticity is changeable or adaptable is a good word for it. Oh, I thought it was like petroleum. Well, it's different from common law. Common law is hard rule. Da, 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 da. Okay. No, 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 no. Common law is based on principles, sir. Okay. okay. Principles. principles aren't hard. Principles are to be debated by the jury so that natural organic justice can be arrived at by consensus of the jury. That's not hard. That's that's fluid. Okay. Principles. Yeah. Lex non- that's another actually that's another form of the word plasticity. It's not hard, it's fluid. Yeah. Yeah, but, but the principles are solid. Like like you don't breach the peace. That it relates to trespass is probably the largest single body of law under the general common law her, he, header. Um and, and it's like property lines, you know. You you've got the right to sing and dance and pull down your pants and do anything you want uh, uh, while you're on the other side of my property line. But but you put your toe over my property line. Got the right to pull out a hammer and bang your toe. You you don't be trespassing on my side of the property line. That's that's common law though. That's common ground too. I mean, you yeah. can't just yeah. come into someone's house and tell them how to live their life. That's right. common ground. Man's home is his castle. That's a firm rule. Firm principle. You know? And it's different if your house is burning down or something and you gotta go in there to to try to save right, the baby. Right. right. Absolutely, I agree with that too. Yeah, so it, it's just the principle. There may be exceptions for the principle if there's a house burning down or something else happening. But the general rule is hard and fast. Under general circumstances. Yeah. So do you know what equity is now? Caller? Hello? 
Minnesota? Did he drop off? No, he's still there. He might be muted. Oh, well, there he did drop off. It, uh, uh, yeah, he, he may have lost connection or something. Mm-hmm. Um, or hung um, up. Or hung up. You've had an interesting call. You really have, Charles. Uh, you think that winded up here, Mo? That's good. Yeah, it was a good call, yeah. Definitely. All right, well. Don't um, you think that... Don't you think that we? Uh, I, uh, are you friends with Hartford? And well, you know, it's, hey, it's get... Hartford's pretty paranoid, and and he's he's oh, real right. slow to warm up to anybody. Mm-hmm. And, but I've been working on him for probably years now, and and he seems to be slowly setting down. He's got. You, did you notice it? I, I I've had a web page up for for probably over a year with all these files on it, and I know uh-huh. I told him about it before, but but. He's just off in his own little paranoid world and, and, and not paying attention to people that are trying to be his friends and to support his work. And, right. and slowly, lights seem to be going off on his head that maybe he can trust Charles Stewart a little bit more than he has been doing. Well, that's good. It It is Great good. work. Well, thank you. He, he's a hard nut to crack. <laughs> but th- that's okay, because... Cause, He's not going to be bamboozled by other smoke and mirrors artists that might come into our group. He's right. he's a really great vibes checker to have around when yeah. when there's other people coming into the group that we're not too sure if we trust this person or not. Um, if he gets past that's Hartford, a good thing. then we'll that's not a good trust thing. him. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's been around a while, and he yeah. is a you know he he's got some intuition there and a. Like you said, a vibe checker. I like it. Yeah. It, did did uh, Mel? Did you know uh, Paul that came in from Georgia, or was that totally new to you too? That was new to me. All, however, I may have heard the voice on one because I, for years, I've been on the calls too. But for a long time, I would never speak up. I would listen. Mm-hmm. But I think I've heard his voice. But yeah, his voice did time. sound familiar. Uh huh. It was the first interaction. How about you? What did What did he say? He he was thrown in jail for. He was a judge or a magistrate or something. Justice of the peace. Okay. Yeah, and he questioned about the the, the jury selection. Yeah, correct. The, the the so-called grand jury. He was real big on that grand jury process. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was good. He was good. Yeah, I I really delighted in the way him and Hartford were doing back and forth there. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, I could tell Hartford was finding delight in somebody as as mature in years as him that's serious about the law. That uh-huh. um, yeah, well, the U.S. code and things like him that. Calling and stuff. Wanted to get in touch with him. Hartford wanted to get in touch with him. Yeah, well, I, I don't know I don't know how to get a hold of Paul. I, I can look at my email list and try to figure out which person I might have. He might be in my hundred plus email addresses that I'm sending out to. But um, yeah, I don't know how to get a hold of Paul right now. That's for sure. Well, uh, Hartford wanted to connect with him further. I think um, of what they were talking about. Yeah, now, it looks like Minnesota called back in. You there, Minnesota? 
He yeah, said it, I guess I guess I get a little too uh, up in uh, what's going on with myself and not listening to others sometimes. I apologize for that. We're, we're okay. Did your battery go dead or something, or what happened? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, that um, I got probably uh, my phone battery started not working the right way a few days ago. I, now it takes three times longer to charge my phone. Mm-hmm. Just the moon here with small input. <laughs> Paul, oh, I'm sorry. But there's a delay there. I apologize. Go ahead. What was that? A small delay? Yeah, we're we're all on VoIP probably or cell phones and there's we're walking on each other. What do you um oh. sorry. Um Me too. Many apologies. I don't know what VoIP what does VoIP stand for? Voice over internet protocol. Oh, is that? Oh, okay. That's good information. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, Paul Nally from Georgia is who he said he was, right? Yeah. 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 So. Um, Maybe we've we got can... notes in the chat window. There's a program called Chat Grabber that can pull up the whole chat window here. Um, so I really like typing kind of uh, almost transcript of what's going on in the voice conversation into the chat window because that provides a good foundation for uh, if anybody wants to transcribe some of the things that some of the callers are talking about sometime. Yeah, I like to go there, too, on the call. That's a nice little feature. They're taking down a lot of the old um, talk shoes. Have you noticed that? I didn't notice it. Um, I try to save all of mine on my own hard disk. Yeah. Um, A lot of the AIB um, talk shoes have been taken down. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. No, I... Okay, I'll send And Rod Class won his case, you said, now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got that. I I got that from about three different directions. Uh-huh. Mentor and I got it from Illinois and somebody else sent it to me. Or yeah, mm-hmm. on my newsletter. Well, you sent it to me. That's... I hadn't heard from Rod Class in a long time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I didn't follow him out all that closely. Well, there's time. something there's something uh, wrong because there should be more because the talk she's been on for more years now and a lot of people yeah. like it from what I found I don't know why there'd be fewer fewer calls now instead of more well no I'm saying they're taking down the old archive stuff that's been up there for a while for some reason I don't know if they're doing it on you know, the person that had the call is taking it down or are they taking it down I don't know yeah. oh you mean know. like the the recordings on the old yeah. talk show hosts uh right yeah. Oh yeah, those recordings. Yeah, you can't really rely that they'll be there for more than a year. I mean, after a year, you can count on them being gone. Hmm. Oh, I've seen them several years, a long time, while they were Me doing too. the call. Huh. Wow. That's something yeah. I learned new today. <laughs> uh-huh. I know, but I've seen them. They've been archived for a long time, and then 
if they don't have a call, I guess they start taking them down. You know, I guess out of. No, what it does, it rolls back. It just goes back into the history. Because Howard's calls are still up, the old ones. Okay. But, you know, there's a bunch of empty calls, you know, out front because we haven't done any. Right. Vit? You just have to keep tabbing over, tabbing over, you know, until you find what you're looking for. I'm sending an email to you, Charles and Festus, on the subject that we were talking well, guys, I'm going to have to go. I'll get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'm just 2.18 now, so and I'm still jacked up. So, <laughs> Is that you saying goodnight here, Bruce? Sir? Is that you saying goodnight here? Yeah, I'm going to have to go. I'm probably going to need to go ahead and make some coffee. <laughs> make some coffee? <laughs> yeah, I get, I, got, I get up at 5. I usually get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. You totally sound like you're already at home. Who, me? Yeah. Oh, they broke me in well today. They just whipped me upside the head and got me in straight line, and I'm marching too now. <laughs> oh, well, tomorrow's March 1st. Me too. I That's should right. be doing that too. Right. <clears throat> no fibbing. Tomorrow's March 1st. <laughs> right now is March 1st in my world. That's right. Exactly. No fibbing. <laughs> <laughs> That's guys, I have enjoyed it immensely. I thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope we'll probably do one again sometime. next week, Bruce. I do hope you can join with us again. I'll certainly try. Appreciate the conversation and learning. I really do. Bye, right. Mel. Love you. Sweetheart. Love you Love too. Y'all. And appreciate your input. Peace. Well, thank you. As always. Yeah. All right. Good morning. <laughs> 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 Good morning, right back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love Bruce. He's such a sweetheart. Bruce, uh, I, I knew a Bruce once. Uh, he, there was this girl I loved in college that I like. I was kind of a, you know, like when you're an early young college boy, you're scared to ask women out on a date. I don't know. Mm. Maybe you don't. Well, I was. No. no. <laughs> There was this real pretty girl that was in one of the same groups as me, and she was like, she was liking me, and I was like, let's go have coffee on this one night. And I guess we missed up the the time when we were going to meet at the coffee shop, and I got so frustrated. And then uh, a month later, she met a big guy <laughs> named Bruce that I was kind of friends with, and <laughs> they ended up getting married together. Wow. So I guess it was for a reason then, huh? Guess so. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a pleasant experience there, um, Minnesota. Yeah, that was that was uh, my most heart like like the blood in my heart was like going through my head for like a day when I missed that date with her. I called her. I was like, "Why didn't you? You were gonna be there for our date at the coffee shop and." She's like, oh, you said it was on such and such date. And I was like, uh, I was just like dumbfounded. I was like, uh, <laughs> and then this guy, Bruce, I met like a month before for my neighbor at this apartment I lived at. He, uh, he was friends with them. And I, I went over there one time to Bruce's house and he was a nice guy. He had a nice house and stuff. He was, he was decent. 
he was mature and stuff and he had a artistic real artistic setup of his house so you know i just i was but i was still upset about it though well like maybe you're still a little bit upset about it maybe a little bit <laughs> all right well you think maybe we could get past it a little bit yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, that was so long ago and I'm happy for them. I mean, if they're still together, you know, human uh when a man and a woman are good people in my eyes and they they meet up and bond, that's good to me. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think God plays a role in that type of uh encounter. Yeah, well, he was like a rocker, but she was going to the same church. And I don't know, I didn't go to her church, but my neighbor was also a Christian, like a new Christian, like reborn kind of Christians in college. So it's not really clear lines at all. And then uh, that's pretty much, that's all the outlay I have for the people involved. But it, it never went further than that. I just... I got really flustered one day when I saw him holding hands together and she said she was going to marry him. <laughs> but I, I didn't even know her that well. So it's not really, it's just kind of nice. It's like some guys they'll know a woman really well and they think that, you know, they're going to have them for their wife or whatever. I, it wasn't like that. It was just like, like, it was like the possibility was there. And then she found some other guy, and we never even dated, so it's fine. And we should probably try to get past it then, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, we've got a question in the chat room from Manufactured uh, Black. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.